this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Oh, sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, and this is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. We have a really, really, really special show today. It's a today. pretty exciting day. This today. is insane. By the way, this is Andrew Guy. Everybody. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here. I'm excited. This is my one of my favorite movies of all time. You're wearing a tie today, Andrew. I'm wearing a tie, a suit, a tie clip, yeah. socks. You look sharp. It's a good day. You look sharp. <laughs> this is like another face-off episode, but we, we digress. We have we two ridiculously special guests in the house today. Andrew mentioned we're doing Warrior, one of the favorite movies of all time of this podcast. Absolutely. We have the writer and the director of the movie in-house. Holy shit. This Woo. is insane. We have Gavin O'Connor and Anthony Nabakis. Round of applause, everybody. There you go. Do this. Yeah. Can't call him. No, I'm not clapping for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't clap for yourselves. It's no classy guys. Very aggressive opening. Very aggressive opening to the show. There's no clapping for that. I'll clap for that aggressive opening, like that the whole voiceover thing. And now I know how to pronounce Andrew's name. So we got Oh, perfect. We've been friends for a while. It's not a big deal. You didn't know the explosion was coming. Like G A G H A I. Yeah. Go a lot of ways with it. Oh man. The football announcers in my high school when I would make tackles, they would always pronounce it Andrew Gay. Yeah, that's where I was getting at. So then my five foot one Korean mom goes up to the booth. She's like, It's guy, it's guy, get it right. Like freaking out on him. Still writing it on your Facebook page for so, guys, this is Action Movie Anatomy. We talk about action movies on this show. The movies we do tend to adhere to four basic rules. Aside from being made after 1981, rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. And this is an odd one because oh. it sort of has a hero and a villain, and it sort of has two heroes. It's got a hero, yeah, it's got two heroes, a hero and an anti-hero, a hero and a villain, and they both play by their own rules. 100%. 100%. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room, and that can be people, things, beings, aliens, whatever you want them to be, but I would say... Yeah, they're the smartest people in the room. 
He ripped a door off a tank. Yeah, he definitely ripped a door off a tank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure, or we added mercenary to this category. uh, Just because we like to watch people kill each other. Yeah, but I mean, he, yeah, he, you know, he ripped the door off a tank. He's in the military, right? Absolutely, he was. And and at least one explosion, you do see an explosion in the background of the video. (laughs) We do. We saw it. I mean, there's a serious reaching. (laughs) By the way, they reached on every one of those four things. We've been doing a little bit of reaching on the show. Should, we, should we be here? Uh, this false pretense. This is breaking form in the show. Well, we don't actually qualify for any of their categories. Here. Look, we tricked them into being here, if and you, the door is locked. If you knew in the live chats when we do this show, like we talk about this movie, how many times the conversation just immediately becomes how much like the fans love Warrior. They just ignore the episode of Raw. They're like, we don't like yeah. Face Off. Just talk about Warrior some more. So this is just a, a monumental day. So it, it had to fit the rules. But That's uh, right. What we do here is we usually start the show off with something called thesis statement, and this is a. Uh, this is a bold statement, something that's usually rooted in kind of hyperbole that Andrew and I come up with about the movie. We defend it throughout the show, and uh, that's that's what we started out with. So we're going to check out the trailer really quickly. Great we'll trailer. up on the screen. Um, Can we talk about how we hated the trailer? You, you don't it, like huh? the trailer? The trailer is abysmal. The marketing of this film is terrible. I mean, yeah, and we're going to get to that when we talk about the box office. <laughs> this, is, this is the biggest display of marketing you can have. Oh, this trailer to me. That guy, by the way, sunk the. Oh, movie. dude! The guy he, like every time Rose. he's on there, like, what's he doing? He's killing this it. This trailer gets me fired up, and maybe because I've seen the movie, but it's, it's only because you've seen the movie. I love it. So you're saying that this trailer did a huge disjustice to the movie or injustice to the movie based off if you hadn't seen it? No question. First of all, it tells you that everything. Right. Yeah. Right. And they, they admit that they're brothers in the trailer. And it's also mm-hmm. more like it's not an it's not an original trailer. It just is very by the numbers. Well, in 2011, I was in, I went and saw this movie like opening weekend with my buddies. I did not because we were huge Tom Hardy fans from Inception, from Bronson, and all that. Oh yeah, because we, we got held. Our uh, we got held for a year. After we shot it. We were ready to come out, and then the fighter was coming out, so they held the movie for a year. Or so I guess Tommy started to to get a little bigger. After yeah, that, which is probably better because the fighter was such huge Oscar bait. That it would have. Yeah, the studio ran from that. They yeah. didn't want to compete with the fighter. There's this big tournament. See, I adore this trailer. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more. Oh man! All right. Yeah, I love this trailer. Yeah. I'm gonna need a trainer. I think you guys are looking at it retrospectively. I mean, that's I totally because I know what it all is. But we have a slight bias for this film. <laughs> You're like, I like this film. Oh, I like that scene. I like that scene. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen this in years. Yeah, neither have I. I was so surprised when you said you hadn't watched the movie recently. I haven't watched the movie since the premiere. Yeah. Just, is that normal for you? You don't watch your movies after they come out? Yeah. I mean, I've watched it, you know, 5,000 times. Right, right. Editing it, so once it. it's finished, it's out of the oven. I, uh, so it's, on. it's not because of, like, you don't like to watch what you've done. It's because you've done it so many times. You've seen it so many times. Because, like, when I perform personally, I hate watching it. It's hard for me to even watch myself do the show. Yeah. Let alone when I'm actually performing. <laughs> I, it's... It's too much. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and also like, and maybe it's the same with performing. I, uh, I, I, I think I'm like I'll see the like all the, the warts on it. Right. What I, sh- you know, so I don't even want to put myself through that. I completely understand that, man. 
All right, give away the ending. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it. right. Yeah, by the way, that, that part I don't like is that you see them fighting because the the, the, the the other thing is it's it's it, it's a Cain and Abel story, and the 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 texture of the relationships and the sort of the the Cassavetes kitchen sink drama elements of the movie would that that it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a that to me feels like a popcorn film and not an art film right. And, we were, you know, I think we were making an art film, which goes back to the marketing. It was, you know, they released it like a popcorn film and marketed it like a popcorn film. And when the movie came out, you you may have known who Tom Hardy was, but most of the people in the country had no idea who Tom was. Right. And if you ask my mom, your mom, neighbors, people, no one right. knew who these guys were. Joel, who Joel was. Yeah, I've seen ask people in the middle in middle America today who Tom Hardy. They don't know who Tom Hardy. Is. Right. right. So, yeah, so, I've so, seen. So that. it was a, So they they released it in a wide release, and um, you know we had a lot of you know battles about the marketing plan because I kept comparing it to. Not that I think it's as good a film as. Um, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank on the movie. Which one? Uh, the Indian film. Um, hmm. Slumdog? Yeah, Slumdog Millionaire. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I kept comparing it to Slumdog Millionaire just in regard to the marketing plan that Fox Searchlight right. utilized, which was a, was a very slow, platformed release and trust that we'll get good reviews and let it be a slow build because if we, I knew that if we released it wide... If we didn't do well in the first weekend, it was over because right. I knew how much money they had for P&A. And it was like, you guys don't have the money to spend if we don't have a good opening weekend. And they're like, no, 2,000 screens. It's going to be great. It's like, I don't think it's really going to be that great. But Yeah, I I'd just seen uh, Animal Kingdom as well. Is, did you guys see that before casting Egerton? Is that, uh, did that play into it at all? No, because once again, that was done because the movie came out a year later. Uh, when he, I think he actually right. shot our film before Animal Kingdom. He, he, he did, yeah. We yeah. didn't, we didn't see Animal Kingdom with Joel. Joel just actually, uh, Joel's that was a fluke. Remember yeah. he just came, remember he just came up to the house that day. Well, he had. Uh, you saw he, Henry V on uh, video. Henry IV. Yeah, Henry IV. Yeah. yeah, but he had he had also read. Remember when? Remember the cast it. Uh, right, right, site? right. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. had seen him on the cast it site, and he did. Uh, I don't remember what scenes, but a couple of scenes from the film, and um, it was hard. We couldn't just, find anybody. We couldn't. He, all couldn't the ingredients anybody. that we were looking for for the role, it was, you know, we 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 read probably. I mean, and met hundreds of actors. Hundreds of actors came through the door. It was a long, long process because we wanted unknowns. And um, and Joel, the thing about the thing about Brendan was when you meet him, you needed to get a sense that he had integrity. He was a good family man. He was living in his higher self. Um, but you also, and, and Joel has all those qualities, but you also needed to look deeper and go, oh, I could buy that this guy was a barroom brawler when he was younger. Right. That So he had to, that dichotomy was really important for the role, and it was hard to find that c- contrast with with a lot of the actors. I mean, it, it knocks out of the park with him. We, you know, later in the show, we're going to do our recast segment that we told you about. Right. And trying to think of older actors that you don't, because didn't, I didn't know Joel Edgerton when I saw this movie, so now my perception of him is so formed by this character. So thinking about these guys back in the '80s and '90s who could have done that, it was it was a lot of work to come up with someone. So before we get into sort of where they were in their careers, mm-hmm. we do want to get to thesis statement really quickly. Right. Uh, so do you want to go first with yours? Uh, I do. Um, I had two, and I had one that was more about the film, and I had another one that was more about me. Uh, and is Ben, ben and I? Uh, <laughs> it's about me. That's that's really what this show's about. Is about me. <laughs> Um, a millennial moment, right? <laughs> yeah, right. 
So, like, a year plus, like, almost two years ago, I went through a pretty rough breakup. And I ended up having to stay on my buddy's couch for a couple months just trying to figure out what the fuck I was going to do with my life. And Who would break up with you? Yeah, right? Yeah. That's like, come on. <laughs> Such a handsome, handsome kid. Look, is this, this is on TV, too. This right? is, yeah, it is. <laughs> no. the face. Like, Ladies. You guys even got style for Like, I got 150 <laughs> Twitter followers, okay? Um, so what happened was, I, I all I did was drink every day. I had nothing other than just drink and go to work. And I would sit on Ben's couch every single night, and I would watch Warrior. Every single night. And this is... True. To to every every day, Monday through Sunday, no matter what, I was drinking and I was watching Warrior, and it was the only way that I could seem to. It was like the only thing that like picked me up in my life. So my thesis statement is, even though this isn't my favorite movie of all time, it's close. This movie had more of an impact on my life than any other film I've watched, even more than Gladiator, which is saying something. So saying a lot. The beauty of the story that you told about is that when I met Anthony, happenstance weird story. When I was like, this movie that I love, Warrior, and he's like. Uh, crazy! I wrote that movie. That's, like, a, that's, a, funny, that's a good story. Yeah, that's and a good I was like, story. and I was like, my best friend spent two months on my couch going through a breakup, watching it every night. You have to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the whole story. So <laughs> first time I met Anthony, he's like, oh. You're the guy. Huh? <laughs> well, it's nice because Gav actually called me uh, originally to see if I wanted to do the movie, and he's like, I got this great idea for this movie. Um, it'll be like, it's it'll be perfect for uh, lovesick 20-somethings. And I was like, I'm in. What, what is it? Like, tell me all about it. So I'm glad we hit, our, hit, hit, the, hit the target there. Definitely hit the mark. Yeah, so, okay, so that's is that the thesis. That's then? mine. That is mine. All right, so my thesis is uh, this movie is the greatest use of an outside song in a film of all time. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about About Today by The National because it's... I don't think I can think of a scene in a movie that I enjoy more than the final six minutes of this movie. Like, it, it's so flawless and it's... 80% of the scene comes from the fact that it's just the best use of a song ever. You can't... It is incredible. There's no... There's no I mean, we talk about Boogie Nights a lot. Yeah, so and that's, that's my argument. Is that, Not my argument, but the other, only <laughs> other one is the drug deal gone bad with the use of uh, uh, Jesse's Girl. It's and one of the greatest scenes of all time. Sister Christian Sister and, and 99 Nothing Left of Blues, Blues, which is yeah. an incredible sequence. And, I mean, rivals it. Oh, every, absolutely. But it doesn't make me feel like as emotional as this one does. Mm-hmm. And I've probably watched Warriors 70 or 80 times, and it still gets me every time. Absolutely. Even if I just watch the scene. I don't even have to watch the whole movie and get there. I can just watch the scene and I still get teared up. Yeah, it's another part in those movies where it, the music feels like another character in the film, and it's adding so much to it at that moment. Yeah, which I also had never heard The National before, by the way. That was, how I, that was how I was introduced to the band, was that one scene, and like... You know the lyrics, and you're hearing it, and you're like your dad's absent, and he's, you know about today you yeah. weren't far away, and all that. So it just really spoke to me when I heard it. If you're uh, going through a breakup, you should listen to the National. <laughs> It'll help. It'll be great. That's all, yeah, Matt, yeah, that that's that's the that's the breakup band. Oh, the best. Sure. How much work was it uh, when you guys were establishing which national songs to use? Because they used two of them. Uh, were there others you considered, or was it really just like Star Wars War and About Today were the only ones you wanted to use? Well, about today was. I mean, About Today was. We had about today before we, we, we even wrote the movie. Really, you knew that. You well, just we were writing the movie. We were. Do you remember when the song you you, you played? Yeah, we're going we were, up uh, we were Malibu, driving, we PCH. Up the PCH, and you you had uh, you had like these ten songs. You like check out these because Anthony was. Uh, we, we love music, and he introduces me to music as I try to do the same for him. And he had all these bands and songs, and and that was just. We were driving up the PCH to my house, and I'm, I heard. About today, I'm like, what? 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 what he immediately what? rewind, right. rewind. Was it the studio one or was it the live one? Extend. No, it was the live one. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> to all due credit to my my nephew Zach, who was a uh, uh, college DJ at the time. He he, uh, 
he's the one who keeps me up on uh, he sends me mixes every month of yeah. all, all new bands there's so much great music now because it's just yeah. so, dem- so democratic now anybody can make a record and so that was the white it was the white sessions version it was the version that yeah in Paris right. the Paris version which is incredible and that's at the end of the movie when it when it continues after it's fading out that's like that whole version that's not on the studio version because actually the studio version of that song is it's a great song, but it's so much less lively. It doesn't have a level. Yeah. It doesn't rise. Absolutely. Well, what we yeah. did was, so when we were writing, you know, once, then we started writing and I couldn't get the song out of my head. And then, you know, I, we would play it when we were writing. It was like, this is going to be, you know, once we got to the end of the movie, it was like. It was obvious that it would be the, like, that. We're yeah, going to use this. So that was always the intention to use this song. But once we, uh, once we started editing, editing the film, I had sat down with my my composer and I said, "Look, you know, like this is the song, but we're going to need to embroider the song now to lift the audience because right. the song just sort of kind of starts to descend, and uh, and even instrumentationally, it doesn't, you know, it's 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 pretty simple. So um, so we so we needed to have my composer now take the song and embroider it in a way that started to work make, work for the make scene. you feel like what you wanted to feel at the end of that movie, which yeah. is. Yeah. incredibly uplifting. It was the yeah. crest of the wave. We wanted a crest of the wave ending. Yeah, so yeah. And we needed, out. you know, it was almost another, probably another minute or so, you know, longer than the actual original song, if, if not more. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty long. The band was amazing. They sent all the all the stems of the movie, like they sent all the stems okay, so and you, they let the composer actually work with their own material. And, gotcha. And so it was, it was just... Well, we had to, remember, do you remember we had to, uh, we had to screen the movie for Matt? Yeah. The whole, the whole band. The whole band, In yeah. We, so we wanted to use, you know, once it got to the point where, like, we cut the song and Mark was, we were, you know, Mark was sending us some, uh, we got stems, but Mark was sending us some ideas of how to make this work. Mark Isham, the Mark composer. Mark Isham, the composer. Um, we still needed their permission to use the song. Right. So we, we ended up going to New York to cut because we just wanted to get out of L.A. and get away from the studio. And we were in New York, Anthony and I, living in New York, and so we set up a, a meeting with uh, with you know Matt and the band and uh, and oh, then man. had a, a screening for them who subsequently become very good friends with you guys yeah one of my yeah, best, yeah. one of our best friends well we were releasing some live and they I believe Matt introduced the song by saying this is the best use of our music that's ever happened yeah. in the movie and, yeah. and we you know I think he was thanking you guys uh, I'd say audience, one of the so. best things to come out of the movie is oh yeah our friends I mean we had, yeah the movie you know was forever, but we made some incredible relationships came out of that. Some yeah. of the best friends from that movie, you know, Joel and Jennifer and Matt yeah. and so many people, uh, yeah. special group of people. Bernie. So if you guys are if if you guys are curious or listening about questions you were going to have, we're going to get to like a live chat section later. We actually have Roxy Stryer <laughs> over here say, in the live chat moment. that she's uh, she's she's working the live chat and she's. She's talking to everybody. Any any interesting uh, thoughts over there? They are part? loving you guys right now. A lot of tears in the chat just uh, remembering this movie right now. That's so, good. A lot of smiles, but a lot of tears. I'm so glad I wasn't on my own on that. They have amazing <laughs> questions for you guys later, so I'm really excited to get to that. Okay. I know you have a lot of questions, but later, I mean, I do have one thing I do want to get into. Like oh. a little, little more detail on what happened with Andrew and the girl. Uh, okay, yeah. Get to it like, I'm, like, I'm a little interested, to be honest with you. I'm sweat through my suit. Huh? Yeah. It's okay. I mean, there's, you know, half of us in this room, you know, didn't make the fantasy playoffs in the fantasy league, and you're on that side of the table. So you guys can do whatever you need Which to do. Which is funny there. because only one person in this room has won. So that's what's great about it. All right, Andrew, We're going to move on to what's our not, fist bump. Oh, yeah, I'd rather be, I'd rather be, yeah, I'd rather be you. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah Mr. Bronze Medal over here. Yeah, yeah. All, right, all right, all right. That's yeah, about it. Right. So, uh, so fist bump moment is the part of the show where we talk about that moment in a movie and, uh, you're watching the movie. Maybe you're maybe you're by yourself on the couch, and something happens. And you just have this moment where you want to get up and jump around and just like 
anyone else seeing this, maybe you go get your roommate. You need to watch this scene right Call now. Call your best you need to friend. Watch Have you fucking seen this movie? It's just something happens. It makes you feel a certain way. It could be anything. It could be the music. could be a look from a character. It could be a one-liner. Uh, anything. A touching look between father and son. There's a lot of that anything in this at movie. all. Yes, and uh, we like to share our fist bump moments. Usually, the, the fans will tweet in or, or comment with theirs as well. It's tough with movies like this for us because the whole yeah. movie is a fist bump moment at this point. <laughs> yeah, every absolutely. scene, the whole movie. But I did. I worked. I came up with a single moment that is my fist bump moment. I came up with two single moments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna go first. Yeah, please do. Do you want to just cue the clip? Yeah. You're so talking my about first fist bump moment is the Mad Dog Grimes fight. Yeah. Because. What's wrong, Rock? You're making Polly at home. Like, Which subject, you didn't get. You didn't get the reference for I like got a the year. Reference. I didn't get the reference for so long. I was oh like, is he talking about? Uh, I, I don't even know how. how. I know. We're watching Rocky Rock for like two like, months ago. Oh, He's like, dude. I got it. <laughs> like a true Peter Griffin moment in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that dogs laid eggs. Um, yeah. So this moment, I remember sitting in the theater with my buddy Tom, and I leaned over to him after the end of this fight. And I go, as soon as this movie's out on DVD, I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to watch this scene ten times. Before I even watch the movie again, I'm just going to watch this scene again. And it's just, I don't know, just the juxtaposition of him being all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I fought before. And then Mad Dog being such a douchebag. Yeah. It's the best. That's uh, Eric Apple, from uh, a fighter from Orange County. You don't make good tattoos, or no? The guy with the tattoos is just a Pittsburgh local. We loved him. Gav took one look at him, and I think uh, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I want that guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then like the extras, you think are interesting looking, you move up. So Gav like moved up, like, put him in the corner, put him in the corner. I was speaking to your boy here. I didn't know so you directed the pilot to the Americans, right? Yeah. yeah. So I used to cover the Americans for After Buzz TV, and uh, we were trying to get him on the show at one point, actually. Max your name. Um, yeah, yeah. Because he's is one of the coolest cats going. I yeah. just watched uh, a really S- good friend of ours, Sicario, last night. He's in that so as well. Yeah. Oh, it's very I love that film. Max pops yeah. up everywhere. A lot of these guys you'll see pop up everywhere now. Yeah, well, and like uh, Noah Emmerich, obviously. Who I put in the Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the he's one of the leads. No, no, I, but you put him in the movie. Or no, the, the, the show. Yeah, I, I, I did the pilot, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I convinced him to do it. He was not Watch that very apprehensive. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, his directorial debut was in the second season. He was supposed to yeah. come on to the interview, but that storm, his schedule got all screwed up, so he couldn't do the interview with us. But uh, Oh, really? Yeah. I can help you know he just he directed yeah, he's yeah. doing one this season too. Yeah, he's directing. It's a good show, really good show. It's yeah. one of the best shows on television. Yeah, that's the kid. I love that kid. Yeah, that's a real commitment, by the way. You get face tattoos. That's a commitment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm gonna get this for the part. Also, like just so. like the, the, just the just the entire comedy of Fernie being in the scene and us like finally meeting him. Yeah, we, Andrew and I were so excited. <laughs> the guy filming oh, is out. Fernando Chin, who's a wonderful actor and also choreographed all these fights. Yeah, we have a question about him later on because the, yeah. the fighting in this movie is incredibly accurate and brutal. Yeah, it's one of the, it's probably one of the best parts of the whole movie is how <sighs> Dad, Apple, Apple just got put to sleep. Oh, I love it. it. All right, you can cut it, Mark. That is so <laughs> so good. Yeah. That's a fun scene. It's a total fist bump moment. I mean, yeah. it's like uh, you just you're a dude. You like watching movies like right. this. Those are the scenes you hope that for. That was my first one, and then my second one. It's not the same as yours, I don't think. It's it's after the midnight fight. Oh yeah, because the one thing that you oh, do in this movie that's yeah. incredible is. It's amazing how impactful reactions are and how much people forget that in movies like this. And they're like so this. good in this And movie, they're yeah. so good. Between the principal, between Jennifer Morrison, between Patty Conlon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the end of that fight, you're like, he can do it. Like, he yeah. can do it. The school teacher the can do it. He yeah. did it. He did it. He tapped him. Yeah. Way to go, Brendan. For people who are like, love movies, like, wondering like, all different, de- what all different departments, the director's medium com- completely, but the, there's a great example of the difference of like, what's on a page and then what, what a, a, yeah. a great director does. Right. Like, Gav's masterful at, um, 
you know, building and milking emotion with like with all those cutaways. So I, I learned a lot actually, even on the page. I, I, I think a little differently on how to like move around, um, even though it's different, much different, more potent visually. Yeah. But even on a page, like keeping characters alive and then right. like building them so the audience is they kind of serve as the audience proxy. Um, and that's completely like it was that was masterfully uh, com- completely uh, uh, all those moments were built built by Gab almost like piece by piece by piece and and uh, I agree they totally yeah, yeah. you're they, they just make you care more yeah. especially like even the principal like yeah who, who literally who is a literal I'm going to be the only person in America this year to use the word literally correctly <laughs> uh, a literal <laughs> fist pump moment yeah. when Kevin Dunn the principal gets yeah. off the couch when when Joel wins uh, I think when he beat Coba. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all like, it's the best. Yeah, it was just a great idea. The guy was like, oh, we, we need to do this. I'm like, that oh, sounds good. And then yeah. we put a guy, and that's what's great about actors. Like these guys, they, they can be can the biggest it. pains in the asses in the world. But then you stick them <laughs> in an empty house with a green right. screen, be and exciting. they do that. It'd yeah. be exciting, and they do it. Jennifer Morrison as well. Was, yeah, she's well, just looking at a blank screen, and she's jumping up and down. And the editing awesome. is yeah, it comes out the editing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. I hope you don't mind because we're gonna come back to your fist bump. Oh but sure, yeah. Well, you just with right Anthony, by your fist bump. I know. Right by your with Anthony <laughs> saying all this, we, we have a question here that we talk about where in your movies, like especially Warrior and Miracle, you have this way of making cliches and impactful moments come off so brilliantly and so palatable and that like I went back and I watched Rocky IV recently and I watched Creed in the theaters and and one thing that I said I called Ben after I left Creed and I was like it was great it was a really good movie man Um, but I didn't feel like I felt at the end of Rocky III and at the end of Rocky IV when you feel like when you walk out of the theater you can just conquer the world like you want to go out you want to box like you want to fight you want like you just you want to tell everyone about this movie that's how Warrior makes you feel Creed didn't make me feel that way what is it about the way that you direct that makes like how do you make these moments sit with people and like resonate so much with your audience? Because Miracle's the same way. Miracle's yeah. exactly the same way, and it feels the same way. And obviously, with sports, it's like that's a that's a big yeah. I'm, I'm wondering the exact same thing. Um, well, I mean, the challenge you know, with Miracle, the challenge obviously was when the movie begins. You know how it ends, so that was you, you know what's coming. Right. So that was daunting to make that work. Because they know they're just waiting for it. So, but uh, with Warrior <clears throat> and Anthony and I had these conversations early in the writing of it was um, having having done that with with Miracle. The goal, what what I wanted to do, which which I think breaks the form, is uh, Rocky Creed. You know who you're rooting for, right? You're invested in the, this is who we're told who we're rooting for. And what I was like, what I was, I guess, in challenging myself as a filmmaker was like, I want to have two trains running, right? And play with the audience. Like, who are you rooting for, right? Because they're on a collision course, these two guys, right? And you choose. And I hadn't seen that in a film before. And what I learned, you know, like when I look at like. Rocky three four like those movies honestly don't mean that much to me but the original Rocky right um, is a seminal film for me as, as a as a little boy when I saw that film that whatever it was when I when I what I witnessed on the screen touched me in such a deeply profound way that I just I knew I wanted to do I wanted that like that just everything about it spoke to me right in my in my DNA and um and that film. You know, you get older, you realize, oh, well, the movie works because he doesn't win the fight. 
That's why Rocky works. Because mm-hmm. it's a personal victory. Right? So we put the question out to our fans of who should have won. They said, you know, we wanted to know, like, uh, you know, we got something like 40 or 50 votes. And in the end, uh, 54% of the people that voted said that Tom Hardy should have won in the end. Yeah. They would have rather seen Tom Hardy. Really? Yeah. That well, was, but, but, that, but, that's see, but, but that's not the, 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 the lesson of, for me, for Rocky was what's the personal victory? That's what the movie's about. It's a personal mm-hmm. victory. And the movie would never have... I mean, you know, people can say that, and I appreciate yeah, yeah. that, but they're wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. Because, because Tommy's personal victory was losing. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he had to it. lose to win. Yeah. Tommy needed... You know, Tommy was a spiritually bankrupt man. He was someone who was godless. Tommy needed to tap out. Tommy needed to die at the hands of his brother to be reborn. We're getting all spiritual about it, but right. that's that's what the character was. So, if Tommy won, that's a it's a false ending, right? Yeah. So that was a trick which we were always like, how do we, you know, how we gave Tommy the personal victory by losing, and Joel both the personal victory by winning, and also the and, and also the. That victory saved his family. Saved his family. Right. Yeah. So speaking of him losing, I'm going to get. I'm going to jump back to the fist pump moment. So the final sequence, which it's hard to imagine, wouldn't be my fist pump moment because it's like my favorite scene ever. Yeah, it's the moment when they go back into the ring, and it's it's after already uh, Hardy's had his moment in the corner where he's literally got no one in his corner, his arms broken, and it's and he's crying, and uh, and Nolte's standing there looking at him, and he looks over at him. And Nolte gives him the look, and he looks back, and then he looks again, and he gives him the nod. Nolte gives Joel the nod. Yeah. yeah. And, he's, and he gives him the nod, and it's like this, you're, I love you, you're both my sons, I give you permission to do this. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know you need to do this. Yeah. And he gives him the nod, and he looks, and Joel looks so broken in his face when he gets the oh, so nod. Good. I mean, there's so many subtle moments in that scene that I just, I love also the, the scene. Drop. Where, yeah, what, what, what are you doing, Tommy? Yeah, but... But that the one look from Nolte, the second one where he gives the nod is, I think, my single favorite moment in the whole movie. That's my fist bump. So, so that moment, yeah, we were shooting. You know, um, we had wrapped Nick. He was done with the film, mm-hmm. and he went back to California. And we were shooting because I was I covered all of everything outside the cage, right, um, with him, <clears throat> and. Uh, and I think we finished with him watching his, you know, watching the two brothers. You know, leave the okay, cage and all yeah. that. So we covered all that, and maybe like two days later, I was shooting that section of the fight, and it's after the fourth round, and Brendan goes back to the cage, and as he's and I just remember standing there in the monitor, and Joel's walking back to his corner, and I went, "Oh my god, <laughs> I'm missing a moment." Yeah, I'm missing a moment. Yeah. So that's an insert. You. Well, not what I, yeah, so I called up Nick. I literally walked off set. I said, I'll be right back. I called Nick. I'm like, hey, man, uh, how you doing? He goes, I, I just got back home, and it's so good to know. I'm like, <laughs> well, I actually need you to come back. <laughs> I need I need one more shot of you. I need you for, I'll, I'll have you done in t- 15 minutes. All right, yeah. Um, two cameras, we roll. I walk you through what we're going to do. Oh, Jesus. I, just, I said, Nick, I really got to get you back here, man. Yeah. I need, the, it's so funny, because that's your, yeah, and that's he's like, ah, and. Flew him back next day, shot it, turned around and went home again. That's it. I love it. <laughs> and that's just so important. Yeah. It's so incredibly important. incredibly important. I mean, because that scene, there's not a lot of talking in that scene. It's just a little <laughs> bit between the brothers, but really it's mostly just the music and then mm-hmm. these reaction shots. And I would say that the scene with Hardy 
crying in the corner when he looks around and all of a sudden he looks so he's scared alone. of what's about to happen. Yeah. He knows what's about to happen, but then he puts his hand back up. You know, he's got to go back and fight. That little sequence, too, is, like, so close for me. It's also beautiful. Masa Nobu, Takianagi, who shot it, that's a beautifully... Uh, Gavin, Ma- Gavin uh, Masa were so close that they would always be huddled up in the corner on set. But that shot is so artful with the bleeding lights. And yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. A, it's a, that's a, it's a it's beautiful a frame. It's a beautiful shot. And I, I have to point out, I know that people love Tommy. Yeah. Tommy's electric. Yeah. In the movie, no question about it. And I know why people <laughs> sometimes want him to win. Because a lot of people relate to him because he's, you know, angry and a little more of an outsider. Absolutely. Joel's character has uh, has more, in a way. Even though he's uh, in a bad spot, he has love in his life and, and Tommy doesn't. But Joel Edgerton, like, those moments, like, lowering the gloves. Like, when he yeah. comes out for round five and he's got his hands up by his mouth. And he's just... As his mouth's coming All on, those yeah. moments, which are all the humanity of the movie... All of it is completely carried by Joel. Yeah, and just inserted those. Joel allows Tommy to. Um, it's a generous performance by Joel. It allows Tommy to be yeah. who he is and to, to take the Marlon Brando kind of <clears throat> like. Um, you know, people love the girls, love Tommy the most, right, and the dudes love Tommy the most because Tommy kicks kicks ass. And, but it was Joel who, like, Joel was the fighter of the two guys, right? Like, who could fight so. The way Gavin ended up design, you know, the, it was almost reverse engineered a little bit because Tommy didn't have the uh, Tommy Hardy didn't have the physical skill set that uh, Joel did or the uh, martial arts background. He just so the killer. fights needed to be designed a certain way. So Tommy couldn't go through all of the. Uh, so he throws one punch. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> it was designed that way. So again, Joel is doing all the work, physical. I mean, even physically as an actor, he's doing all of the physical work right. that's being done by Joel. Um, all those fights, all of those sequences. He put in so many more hours. All the emotion in the movie. Like he, he's one of my best friends and, and yeah. one of the greatest human beings you'll ever meet. But I always have to. St- I always feel like I need to stick up for him a little with Warrior because, because people, Tom- love Hardy people always so talk about Tommy and it bums me out. Not because Tommy right. wasn't great, because he was, no question. Um, but just being there with Joel and watching what he did. He puts Tommy in the position to shine more because it's of the way he makes himself. Agreed, we love, yeah. we love, you know, we love. Well, it's Brando. It's Cool Hand Luke. It's Fast Eddie Felson. It's right. Nicholson and Five Easy Pieces. It's we love the antiheroes. Right. So that's so. You know, th- Tommy, Tommy's character encapsulated that and was crystallized. Where Joel, you know, he was on the side of good. Right. He was right. on the side of doing the right thing. He was on the side of family. Like, and that's just not a sexy. No. But but I think as a performance, I'm with Anthony. I think what Joel did is, I mean, he's he astounded me. Well, they've both gotten me. the recognition since. I mean, this movie, yeah. and we'll get when we talk about critical in just a minute. Like, it's not like the fact that this movie didn't make a lot of money actually has affected the way people regard it since. I mean, this movie is legendary amongst the people who love it. It's, mm-hmm. it's. I would argue that it's helped. I would argue that it's box office failure <laughs> has helped the. Uh, legacy of the movie more people are personally connected to it and feel like they found it there's a real right. personal connection to this when, movie. what I find with this movie is that if I tell somebody that I love this movie and they haven't seen it they're just like I haven't seen it but if I tell somebody that I love it and they have seen it they get almost more excited that I have seen it right. they want to talk to me of about course. it they want to get fired up about it because it's like and we've shown a lot of people this movie yeah. and they are pumped and yeah. they love it it's also like the rare movie that I can watch the the uh, thrilling sequences and they they still feel suspenseful every time I watch it even mm-hmm. though I've seen it as many times as yeah. I have you know what I mean when those fights are happening it's shot in such a way that even though you know he's gonna he's gonna get out of it and he's gonna tap him it's like you're still like oh my god is he gonna make it yeah. is he gonna get to the next fight this is so exciting something like that is all about the filmmaking because 
usually, yeah, like a, a great song or a great movie sequence, everything, you know, lessens in potency the yeah. more times yeah. you see it. And I agree, I have seen, yeah, I've caught that, I've caught the movie a couple times on TV and obviously we know what's going to happen. Yeah, but it works. I, yeah, you get, get pumped up and it's, that's just, when you know who's going to win a fight yeah. and you've seen it 20 times mm-hmm. and you're still psyched, that's, that's all that is. Um, that's the that's filmmaking. That's just great high end filmmaking because there's no reason to feel that way. So let's talk a little bit about the production development and, and sort of finding these guys and then just getting the movie made. So if you look at the movies, the three movies credited for these guys right before this movie came out, you got Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy for Hardy, Inception, and Thickest Thieves. And for Edgerton, you've got The Thing, Animal Kingdom, and The Waiting City. And the none of those movies. Afterwards. None of those movies had come out. Right. They none of them had come out when this came out. You're saying? Yeah, they none of them production. had come out. And when we, when we made the movie, when I we mean, made the movie. He, I mean, Tommy. Shot uh, Tinker Tailor after he shot Tommy after Warrior. Tommy went into Inception. That's yep. where he had to leave to go do that. Yeah, to leave. Seven and then he did day. Tinker Tailor after that. So these are movies he actually shot. They just post came out Warrior. They just Every came one out of those guys we held, on that we list held for. Yeah, all of those directors would uh, at one point call Gavin to get a recommendation or not about Chris Nolan. All of them. Yeah, um, they were unknowns. Like, Tommy like, had brought the only thing Tommy had behind him at this point project. that people were talking about. But when you say people, it's just people our know. little our yeah. little bubble in yeah, Hollywood. Bronson's they, super indie. No yeah. one's seen Bronson. Yeah. The eight people in Hollywood. Great, but, 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 but Bronson was at Sun was at Sundance when we were when we were prepping. Yeah, Warrior. Like we had already cast Tommy. Right. I had right. never seen Bronson. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So they were like fully on. Like the, you look at these credits, and for as big as these guys have become now, and this is just a few years ago, you think, okay, well, they were sort of making it. The time you guys made this movie, they really were not making it. They, they were, were fully unknowns, and the big decision <laughs> and the thing that made it a chancy, um, when Carver's studio wasn't that thrilled about it, was uh, Gap didn't want to use any recognizable actors. I believe the f- two people that were mentioned were uh, C- Colin Farrell and Jerry Butler, I remember at one point. <laughs> Um, Farrell might have been okay. Farrell, yeah. Farrell, and Butler were the Tommy Brendan of the known world yeah. that they wanted, and and Gav just felt the movie. The instinct was the movie would have a chance to be great. Yeah, and, and if if you didn't know who, was but that's in it. that's once again that's uh, you know I recently had the the opportunity I've never met Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and um, I had gotten invited to this Creed, um, a, like a luncheon with yeah. the filmmakers and Stallone and. And uh, I was like, ah, no. but then I, I went and saw Creed, and I'm like, uh, you know, it was like the night before, and I said, you know, I'm going to go to this thing because I want to, I want to, I want to meet the filmmaker, and I want to just express to him how, how much I love Creed. But that goes back to Stallone. We, and I wanted to speak to Stallone about this, and I, it was great. I, it was a great, like, one. It's probably my favorite moment of, of meeting an actor because yeah. Stallone, when he made Rocky, it was such a deeply personal experience for me so I wanted to I just wanted to tell him that right and and share that with him and and it goes back to you know we I had actually seen Lords of Flappers because I love movies as a kid so I knew who Stallone was but 99.9% of the public didn't know who Sylvester Stallone was when Rocky was made mm-hmm. so it wasn't James Caan right right it, you know it wasn't uh Whoever Ryan the Ryan Neal Neil Burt Reynolds so that was our, that's what we kept Saying at the studio is like I I was always anchoring the movie in Rocky right, the first right, Rocky right. and like it worked for them it's a so, good one to anchor with so that was you know the the influence of Stallone and Rocky is is everywhere in Warrior 
Yeah. Just everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, and you guys stuck to your guns a lot in the casting with this, especially with Nolte, who was, he was a neighbor of your guys's. Is that true up in Malibu? Yeah. What was it about him that made you guys be like, no, we're sticking with him. We don't care what the studios say. We don't care. Nolte, He's yeah. our boy. Yeah. We call and him the, we call him the National Treasure. National we both, Gavin and I are both, uh, were huge movie, movie buffs growing up, and Nick Nolte was one of our favorite actors. That's simple. Like, Rich Man Port from his first... Time on network TV was rich uh, miniseries called Rich Man Poor Man. Even little movies like Cannery Row, which I love. Like we love Nick Nolte, and normally you do not talk like we never talk like this. Like we're going to do yeah. a project, we rarely would talk like this. But Nolte meant so much to us, and he had become fr- uh, friends with Gav because yeah. they were neighbors in Malibu. We would he actually... was also supposed. He was in Pride and Glory, so we went down the road together. Oh, that's right, right. right. Yeah, Gav had to recast him in Pride and Glory. That's right. But we wanted to, we, even, we would actually, the only yeah. time we've ever said this, we're like, we wanted to get an Oscar for one of our favorite actors. And it's an incredible, I mean, it's an incredible role. So when you're watching that and he's, and he's, he's on camera and he's doing this, like, did you really feel like you were seeing more than you expected? Like, did you, or you knew going into it, you're like, this is an Oscar role. This is an Oscar bait role. He's talented enough to do this. So if he does this right, this is going to be every, and it was everything you thought? I, I mean, I, I try not to think about Oscar, sure. you know, something like that. It was just like, he just was so... When we started talking about the character, it was just always Nick. So, we, you know, we would go over to Nick's house, and we offered Nick the part before the part was even written. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, before we even got the studio to approve that Nick was playing the part, and then which they never did. Which they never. We did. just ran out the clock. Eventually, the movie started. <laughs> well, the movie's starting, we, and we don't have anybody. We used to go up to Lionsgate, and they would say, you know, like "Somebody would come in with a folder of like the, of headshots, yeah. and it would be." You know, we we would sit there and they would fill a whole table of everybody you would expect who's around that age: Billy Bob Thornton, Kevin Costner, right. anybody who had more uh, international value. They just yeah. did not want Nolte, <laughs> and Gal would just be like, "Oh yeah, let me think about." He ran out the clock, like just refused. To, he hadn't really been uh, knocking out of the park previous to this movie. He had, he had had a few kind of down years. He hadn't done much. He wasn't. He was off the. He yeah, was. Man. He was off the. Nick was. He was off the reservation. He's like one of those guys you yeah. joked about. Like, did Nick Dolte die? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, Nick but, became you know, famous for. Yeah, Nick became famous more for you know his shenanigans yeah. than yeah. Being, yeah, and, one of the great American actors. Yeah. But what we were doing simultaneously while that was happening, as we would you know entertain yeah. the, the other actors that they were presenting, is we would always go up to Nick's house and we would because he was I think the first person to read the script. We gave that it was to the him. famous Nick Nolte yeah. lunch, lunch at Nick Nolte's house. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell the story read, later. If we that. have time, I'll tell you a story, a story <laughs> later that you will just not even, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. But we, but, so we were working with Nick, doing biographical work, um, really dissecting the scenes with him. And then he would be keep going like, but yeah. I, I don't have the party. Like, like, <laughs> he'd be like, Nick, I promise you you're going to play the role. Like, we're going to get to your deal. Just Come on, be- yeah. all, these conver- <laughs> all these conversations, by the way, took place in a, in a, a, a house, I would say, maybe half the size of this. We call it the Rock House. <laughs> yeah. Nick lived on an estate in Malibu. Beautiful, one of the most beautiful properties up there. Tons of prop- beautiful main house. And in the back... There were a couple of little spots, and one was called the Rock House, which was made out of rocks and had nothing in it. And Nick was always getting banned by the. Is he still married to Clyde? I guess if he's still if he's still married to whoever he uh, is, he just had a baby at the time, and Nick was constantly getting himself banned from the main house for one 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 misstep or another. Like it doesn't. So. Every time we go to do a script meeting with Nick, we'd, Gavin and I would like really hopefully walk up to the main house, like no. don't get to hang out in the main house today because it's so beautiful. The and then the door would open, and, and Nick's girlfriend or uh, fiance at the time, Clyde, would just you just see a finger, <laughs> just point, 
towards the rock house and the door would just close and we'd just trudge across the property and we'd all huddle up with Nick in this tiny thing and he never had like We'd all share like one vitamin of water. Kind of like, like, you'd walk up to three straws. You say, "You say, you say, Nick, the rock house again." He say, "Come on, guys, I'm gonna try it." You're like, "Try it." Here. He would make us lunch. Or there's a sister. Well, hey, Nick really wants to make you lunch. And he'd be like, "Gavin, are we getting ready to leave?" I'm like, "We should eat, right?" Like, what does lunch at Nolte's even look like? Is he gonna like? Is he really gonna give us lunch? And I was like, "No, it means a lot to him, apparently." Yeah. So we should not eat. I'm like, oh yeah. We go down there working on the script. Twelve o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, four thirty. I'm looking at starving. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chew my forearm off now. Like, so finally, Gavin goes, "So Nick, how about a? I heard there's a rumor going around. You get lunch? You get lunch?" And Nick, oh, no, you probably opens the door, tells us to follow him. Yeah. We go walk run across the property. He just had a knee surgery, so he's hobbling across the property. He's wearing that ridiculous all white. I don't know. <laughs> Sweatsuit or whatever, Moo-moo. About, whatever you want. Moo moo slash sweatsuit slash. Is it white or is it just discolored? I don't know. <laughs> so we get to like we get to the, the the edge of the property and there's a sprinkler going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and Nolte's like lined up like a sprinter at the edge of the property. You gotta get a time and, and just he waits right. till the thing goes and he goes hobbling across the grass. And Gavin and I are just standing there famished, going, "What's happening here?" He runs across the property, reaches into a bush, grabs two items. And then runs back across the lawn, this time having no caring whether there's sprinklers or not. So why he waited in the first place, I have no idea. He gets drenched, and he comes back, and he presents us with two uh, heirloom tomatoes the size of, like, racquetballs. And he just hands it to us. That's lunch. That was lunch lunch. at Nick Nolte's house. Did you eat a raw tomato? I've never eaten a, a tomato in my life. Yeah. And really? I did eat it. Yeah. Because it, I was so hungry. It was I good. did eat it. Was it delicious? I have no idea. Yeah. I just wanted it. Well, I he grows something. fruits and vegetables. Like, yeah. that's his, yeah. uh, that's his thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would happen every yeah. every day with Nick was a verb. Something like that would happen. Yeah. He was the most entertaining individual I've ever spent. Uh, it was a normal, time. it was just a normal day for Nick. Well, yeah. he, adds, Nick. he has a lot of character. I mean, he adds just like a lot of character to, as you, some of the other actors you mentioned, and not that they're not great actors, but there's just a lot of like raw and sort of grizzled mm-hmm. integrity to that character that I think some of those guys, other guys might not have brought at that point in their careers. Well, also um, the the past that the character had, you, you yeah, he's Nick yeah. didn't have to do a lot of work, right? Yeah, to to understand before the thousand yeah. days that he was sober that, that there was a, that that home was a catastrophe, right? It was a you know this was a violent they were raised in a violent toxic home. Yeah, and you, you know you get that. The thing about Nulty that was when Nick didn't have anything to do with like if there were scenes where he kind of really didn't have to do much, it could be brutal because he you know he would just, you know like it's action and then you just hear <laughs> and I'm like cut I'm like oh, what? I'm like Nick how many movies have you made like you're actually playing your guitar while I'm shooting. on set while like, while I'm rolling by the way like, with a tiny but a tiny, tiny amplifier yeah. box it wasn't oh, amplifier. I didn't hear you say action it wasn't a ukulele it was an electric guitar <laughs> but when he had scenes that were the, you know the meaty weighty emotional scenes he was like laser focused. Um, you know the scene with, with Brendan at the house when he shows up like he, oh, in between man. every take he would just go sit in the car and he was just like whoa right knew all his lines never I mean because yeah, you just worry like you know yeah, at that yeah, age but not only knew all his lines but like the way to play the scenes we were you know the intention subtext like he got he never dropped a line he, he was he was and he was just oh, that's such a hard eight hours scene. just sat in the car in between takes and just sat there and Remember day one in the diner? The first day, our first day on set, six o'clock in the morning in Pittsburgh. It's so exciting. It's like my first movie. 
go on to set because you're always working in these little micro. Yeah. Like going to this meeting or that meeting, but you don't see the whole. Yeah, guys, like, oh, we hired a costume designer today. Or we hired, you don't see everybody <laughs> yeah, right, really right. until the morning of, and then you go and there's 250 people right. and there's trucks everywhere. You're like, because you remember you were just yeah. two guys just sitting in a house. Right. So it's kind of really. I mean, it's amazing and really it's an yeah. honor, you know, to like see all these people came to in service of your vision and then they're all taking ownership of it. But the first day, um, we're at a diner at six o'clock in the morning. You don't know what you're going to get on an Ulti. Like, oh, I there's just no this. way of knowing possibly like our greatest hopes were like, he's going to be Nick Nolte and he's going to kill it. We, we didn't know. So the first scene was the diner scene with him and Tommy. Right. There's two scenes. One's now an, an, uh, an outtake. Which mm-hmm. still bums me out. I heard scene. that was a, a great scene. The yeah. Great yeah. scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, well, what's some of my? It's you're, my favorite you're, scene. You're, it's you're, not you're, in the movie. You're, you're, yeah. You could bang. You could bang the spoon. One's for Iraq or two <laughs> for Afghanistan. That's a great scene. The whole Vietnam story. It's a great scene. But so the first, and you said you'd never seen this before. You know, Gav uh, um, had made it was it for like fourth or fifth movie at that point. But uh, he did. The, we did a first take. And Nick knocks it out of the park, really emotional, and the whole crew gave him a standing ovation. Did, right? And um, which it was like, you just don't really see that. I it's mean, a yeah. so way to, it's yeah. a scene that isn't in the movie. It's it's his character telling, he's trying to connect with it's not a war Tommy, Tommy yeah, right. about right. his war path, his you know what happened in you know in Iraq and well what happened because he doesn't know. He's trying, and then he starts right. sharing about his experience in Vietnam. And it's an, it's it's one of those examples of it's like one of our favorite scenes in the film but it didn't service the the bigger picture that's a a kill your darling well so speaking of you said it's your first movie Mm. uh, I mean this really it's your first major film credit right like even if you're working on other stuff I mean this is the first one so when you were working on the script and you were in production did you sort of have a feeling like I just know what we're doing is really special and this is gonna this is gonna be no matter how much money this makes, this is going to be a classic. This is not. This is not something I'm worried about. Like I just know what I'm writing here is great. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I knew it was. Good. Yeah, that's a tough question because uh, you're always surrounded, and once you get into the environment, the fun part is when you're just creating with your friend, and you're mm-hmm. just like spitballing ideas, and we're having fun, and that's when it's that's when it's still art, right? You know? Like we always did. You know, the it's not you know, called show art; they call it show business. So right, eventually, right. you get lucky, and you know. The best day is when you when you sell something and you get something set up, and that's also the worst day because then the door opens and then all of these people come in and you just have to kind of like protect. You know, it becomes art by committee and everybody's got an opinion. And Gab is always really right. good. I learned a lot. It was we have very different personality types, so um, I'm probably more likely to you know not to give in, but just like I'll see everybody else's point of view and maybe I'll give an inch or two. And what I didn't understand then was you give an inch or two in this business, and they take the first couple inches. Put them right. away. Forget that you gave them that, and then they keep asking. So Gab would be like, yeah. "Nolte's a good example of that kind of right. thing." Like he would dig his feet. I'm not casting stars. Yeah, I'm not casting Kevin Cutler. Like, he would just dig his feet. And there were times where I thought, "What's this guy doing? Like, mm-hmm. we're gonna lose the movie. Like, they're gonna pull the plug." But yeah. um, if you don't, then you you can have your work completely compromised. So I felt like we were doing something. It felt special. Yeah. It felt yeah. like it was going to be really... It felt like it was going to be really good. Um, but I didn't know, in the end, I didn't know what happened. The, the impact that it's had is extremely uncommon. Yeah. All these, you know, four years later to have people come up to you all yeah. the time. And not just say, I liked your movie. That was a really good movie. 
but the way you guys talk about it, which is right. that's my favorite movie, where that movie means so much to me. It, yeah. Uh, it's a deeply... might never make another movie that people have that much of an emotional connection to. Yeah. I mean, when I, I always say, like, as, as a performer and an actor, like, what I want to do is to be a part of something that affects people. At, like, in this business, it's so hard to do that. So much of it is money-driven. To be a part of a project that actually affects and changes people's lives... I think is the greatest gift that you can get as a filmmaker or as an actor. So Nothing else to do. That's yeah, the only reason right. we're here, and you get lucky if you get lucky to do it. But that's the, should be the only reason you're even yeah. involved in this business. Like, well, we we always talk about you know you live in L.A. right, and so you see people all the time, and, and the more sort of you're around the business, the more famous people and impactful individuals in the creative world you actually meet. And I always say it's like the show me an A-lister. If I don't care, I don't care, right? Like, I might think they're a great actor. I might like their movies. But you show me a C-lister who was in my favorite TV show that I've watched 100 episodes of, I won't be able to keep my mouth shut. You know what I mean? I have to say something at that point. So it really does come down to, if you have that deep personal connection to something, it's such a different experience than just a movie being great and you knowing it was great. You know what I mean? There's movies that are great I never want to watch again. Absolutely. Just because I didn't connect to them. Um, but uh, we should continue moving through so we can yeah, get to the, the yeah, stuff at the absolutely. end of the show. Uh, so let's talk about just like the critical really quickly. You know, this movie didn't make as much money, obviously, as with the budget and everything as probably people in the studios and yourselves were hoping. Do you think that some of that came from the fact that you chose MMA instead of boxing? Do you think like maybe the familiarity with MMA in our country at the time just wasn't as wide as the studio was hoping? Right. That's a legitimate question. Yeah. I always blamed it more on marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we always, I mean, you know, the easiest thing to do is to blame it on marketing and the fact that they put the movie out on September 9th. Right. Which, if you Google September 9th, there's actually an article that comes up that says, why September 9th is the worst date traditionally <laughs> in movie. It's the worst release date historically in the history of the movies. Yeah. Weekend after Labor Day. So there are a lot of factors. But I think that's a really smart question and seeing how well that a lot of boxing movies uh, do mm-hmm. yeah. probably, probably a movie well, probably yeah maybe 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 it, it wins a lot of or gets nominated for a lot of Oscars if it wasn't MMA. That's a good question. Yeah, because the other part about that because <clears throat> it, it, it never, remains fringing. Either yeah yeah I never did either. I mean we had a passion for the sport and it just you You're know the idea the fans. idea of making it a boxing one. What's that? We became fans after the movie. Yeah, we became, we became committed. Through the movie. Well, yeah, well, well, I mean, I, I had made a documentary. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, find, I, I executive produced a documentary uh, in 2000. That was my introduction to the world, mm-hmm. um, called "The Smashing Machine," about this guy Mark Specimen Carr, who was a. That's a great fighter. documentary, by the way. If anybody's interested yeah. in MMA, "The Smashing Machine" is the dark side of uh, <clears throat> MMA. Yeah, Mark yeah, Kerr is a, a fascinating character. Yeah, he was a wrestler at Syracuse and became a phenom uh, in Japan. Um, and, he was, uh, he was 1980s Mike Tyson. Yeah, oh, wow. that's what happens to 1980s Mike Tyson. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was my introduction to the to the sport, which was not. This is uh, pre UFC, and then you know UFC um, when it was a ban- when it was banned here in the country. So I think they had that one that one fight in uh, Denver. I think was Colorado mm-hmm. the only place they can get they can uh, they, they they legalize it for a fight with the UFC. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. It's thing. a really legitimate question. Yeah, probably <laughs> is the answer. Probably. Well, yeah, so because of the other part of that was that we were wondering about like the casting of the actors and or whether it was both of those things that played a part in it. But as you guys said, <laughs> we made every like, uncommercial decision we could make. <laughs> but, but we made every uncommercial like, decision you could make. <laughs> by by postponing production, I mean by releasing it, like your actors were actually stars. At this point. <laughs> 
Like, they weren't massive. Then neither of them were A-listers, but they were big enough to where it was like, I'm going to go see this Tom Hardy Edgerton movie. Like, I wanted to do that. That's what I thought. Oh, they're massive now. Yeah. I mean, Tom Hardy is, is at this point, he's totally A-list. But even when this Edgerton's movie came out. almost A-list, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, huge. So, well, so that we pulled a couple graphics here. This is what I thought was really interesting. If you look at the IMDb Top 250, which is based entirely on votes, right? Number 143 out of 250 is where this movie ranks. And on Rotten Tomatoes, 82%, 83%, and 92% between critics, all critics, top critics. So those are glowing reviews. So I went through to find the worldwide box office in 2010 and 2012 of the, of the, of the number 150 movie, which is what Warrior ended up well, in 2011. Yeah. Just to see, like, what are these movies like? You know, are these movies that people regard as classics? It's I a mean, joke. It's a joke. Repo Men is number 150. Wait, That's does that say Country Strong? The country Gwyneth Strong. Paltrow, the yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow Youth country Revolt, music like, movie? Made 140, that made, yeah, that made $20 million worldwide either the year before or the year after Warrior. I mean, it's just a joke when you look at this or the 2012 chart. Can, can, can I point something out really quick? Yeah. The fact that a profit is 151. Yeah. Beneath mm-hmm. some of the titles I'm looking at. If Whoever's listening, if you haven't seen a profit... If you want to have a, oh, it's it's a, the greatest night of your life, yeah. go go rent a profit. It's one of the greatest films of the last very, twenty years. It's the best film of the last decade. Yeah, really, it's incredible. You can switch I mean, the graphic. How many times yeah. did we see it? We, we we saw it in New York uh, at the Angelica like four times. Kept going to the theater and watching it. So here's the 2012. Same thing. Man with the Iron Fists, uh, Headhunters. I mean, most of these movies. Oh, okay. The, I'm sorry. Of. These are. Uh, this is not the IMD top. No, no, no. I no. thought I thought Country this Strong is was the on the IMDb top. I was mortified. Oh, this God, is the no. box office okay, of the year before and the year after. Just to sort of see, like, this is the kind of stuff, if you were just looking at how much money this movie made in its era per year as the 150th highest grossing movie worldwide, it's a complete joke and a travesty. Absolutely. It does not, like, it doesn't reflect, the numbers are complete, they're way off, you know what I mean? Like, <clears> release so, it. Yeah, I thought that was sort of interesting, but... Uh, uh, people would actually go to that movie if you if you released it now. Oh, yeah, I'd watch it. Tommy, Tommy, hell yeah. If you, yeah, if you re-release Warrior. Well, talking about the IMD two, IMDb Top 250, I mean, this movie got an 8.2 on IMDb, and being a part of the Top 250, whether you appreciate and respect the list and how it's composed or not, being a part of that list at all has got to be a pretty big honor, right? I it's mean, just like, the fans love your movie to a point that it's, it's well, rated... critics, you know? Yeah. By hundreds of thousands of people that are looking at the list, they all love that movie enough to be giving it, you know, eights and nines out of ten. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very cool. I mean, yeah, but yeah. numerically, it's tied for the with movies that are in the top hundred. I think yeah, it's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a big for deal, sure. man. So uh, I think we're gonna move on to ultimate action scene here really quickly, just because. And really, the ultimate action scene in this movie is the Mad Dog Grimes fight. I mean, that's if you were gonna say it, like it's. It's so tough, man. The last 40 Wait, minutes. Wait, which the fight? The, the first fight. I mean, when he kicks his ass in the gym. The one we already showed. Oh, of but, course. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, we're going to... Just because I want to ask but you guys a little more. qualifies as ultimate action scene? Usually the ultimate action scene in the movie for us, and we don't do it in every show. We used to do it in every show. We started cutting it. Mm-hmm. But it's usually like just, for instance, in Mission Impossible 3, it's the trailer shot where he's running on the bridge and the drone flies over and he's thrown into the car. Yeah, it, that's a great shot. It's just like whatever whatever thing you're watching, it's like that scene, it's, it's very memorable. You know, and... Okay. I mean, Fury Road is just one ultimate action yeah. scene. But, but it's tough, because in this movie, the Koba fight... The I think, yeah, I think fight, him tapping Koba is, for me, that's, that's the one. For him tapping Koba, and then Brian, uh, our dear friend Brian Callen's yeah. epic announced that. Oh, it's so good. Epic. He's tapped the great Koba! Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, well, it's funny because we we usually that's what the ultimate action scene became was we would sit there and we'd be like, oh well, this is my favorite scene. Like, well, this scene is my ultimate action scene. So we ended up debating it. Uh, we're not going to do that today, but, yeah, because there's so many good ones. But the one that you're going to show, well, this, we'll show this second <clears throat> question. But we want to ask about Fernie really quickly. Yeah, Just, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So the question we had is like this movie. It, it gets a lot of love as being very authentic in the MMA world. You know, it's brutally violent in some senses because MMA is brutally violent. But how did you approach making a movie that? I'm assuming you wanted this to be a movie that kids could watch, like you, you watched Rocky when you were a kid, and they could get really into the characters and root for them. But how did you approach making it sort of a non-Rocky, non-Disney way? Because you needed it to be violent enough that's authentic to the world. So you want to sort of toe the line. Like raw, visceral, but still palatable. Yeah, you don't want kids not to be able to watch this movie, but you also need it to be authentic. So we were just sort of curious, like, did you guys consider this when you were making it, or was it entirely just an art film? That was This was not a fighting movie for kids like Rocky had been. I never thought about it that way. No, no. I mean, the one the one mandate we had was it had to be PG thirteen. So maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, right. So maybe a lot, you know. And so I'm, I remember thinking, okay, like how I gonna handle these fight scenes, and then, and then I remembered that like all well, the Bourne movies were PG thirteen, and I started thinking about the films that handled action that were PG thirteen, and um, and the reality is, in uh, you know, I, we've seen MMA fights where it's a bloodbath, right? And we've seen MMA fights where it's not. Right. So I was like, you know what? It's just not going to be a bloodbath. And that, I'm not a big blood guy anyway, so that wasn't really a, a big deal. You didn't need it in this film yeah. at all. So, so the blo- So I think it was, a, it was a lack of. I mean, there's not you know Tarantino s Scorsese s right. you know, guises of blood going everywhere. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, honestly, after that, I, I never thought about it. That's it's, a, it's a it's it's a question of like in the movie, like playing within your restrictions, and it can it can make you more creative. Right. You, know, you don't in that world. Of course, there's a ton of blood. <clears throat> it's a very masculine world. There's a ton of swearing. You know, you walk into a gym, obviously, there's a lot of swearing, a lot of bleeding, all that stuff goes on. We weren't, we couldn't show blood, and we got, uh... Got one F word. We got one F word. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about it. Like, we would talk about when we were going to use it. It was, it. A it was like a, yeah. It was like a grenade on the table, like, we get to use it once. But I've always felt that, like, I feel like, with language, I think profanity can be extremely potent when you don't use it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, sex, blood, violence, all that stuff, the more you see it, the more it, 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 you just get it, it loses its potency. When he uses it in that scene in the casino, it yeah. is, it's like kicking a horse when it's down. It's, it's really, really hard yeah, to watch. Yeah, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie because we saved it and we saved yeah. it and then we then we he threw the grenade at him. How did you guys find it? The other thing oh. I think that we, uh, we did was um, uh, just an inherent to realism and the thing I just kept saying to Fern um, and Sam was you know I don't want Hong Kong style right fighting yeah that that, that sort of heightened style Um, so my rule was anything that we're going to do you have to show it to me I want to see YouTube I don't care if it's a fight in Pride a fight in some back alley you know like in a uh, in a bar like in like we have um, that was that was someone shot or it was in a K1 tournament, right. whatever it was, I needed to see that it actually happened. Right. Okay. I want to see that. I want to know that it actually happened. I want you to, because you can, you can find, you know, thousands upon thousands mm-hmm. upon thousands of fights. Um, so that was the adherence to that was, that yeah. was, the, that was the mandate in the marching orders with the fight guys. Yeah. There's nothing the beginning of designing it. There's nothing fantastical about the fights in these. They are all real oh, and yes. just completely believable. I mean, that, that's got to be a huge thing with Cobra, Fernie, Cobra right? picks somebody up, and the, the only one that's even close... Is the power slam from Kurt power Angle. slam, but that was a famous Rampage Jackson <laughs> move. Sakuraba? Yeah. I don't know, pride move, and 
we saw it. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was the mandate. Guy was like, uh, uh, no bullshit. Yeah. So he, he, he uses the F word. He kicks him. He goes and he has his, his alcoholic night. And Andrew actually posed a really interesting question. Neither of us had thought about yeah, it. Yeah, I was watching it on Monday night, and I was like, Anthony, why did you pick Moby Dick? Because it's great. Like the the having it in the, the background, the voiceover great. is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Gavin. Gavin Gavin, we were, we were at Laurel Canyon, I think. Gavin, Gavin was interested in Moby Dick. I think Gavin was interested. In, you were using, you were interested in using Moby Dick for a long time for something, and then we. No, no, I had it as a book, and then you said we should use. Oh, we it, as it on tape. Yeah. On tape. Fish tapes. I, I already had the idea yeah. for. I wanted to use Moby Dick as a um, thematically uh, running through the film, but I initially. I had it as he was reading it, and then Anthony's like, "No, no, no, we got to do it as an you know." He's listening to audio tapes of Moby Dick, which was a brilliant idea because yeah. it's just so much more simple. It connects with the audience. Is there a metaphor? Is there what's the metaphor? Like lost or at is, sea, yeah, and, or is it like trying to fight your white whale, or capture your white whale, get your family back? You know, like I think everything is in there. I mean, hey, have you? Yeah, I think it's, it, it gets in the hotel scene if you listen to what he says. Like, yeah. And the amazing thing about Nolte, like, that's one of those scenes where clearly, as an act director, is going to like work with the actor and be like, just let it rip, and I'm going to yeah. shoot you. I'm going to cover the hell out of this, and we'll put it together in the in the cutting room, and it'll be it'll be great. Yeah. But Nick, that was all scripted, and. I remember talking to Nick before that scene. I'm like, Nick, obviously, like, this is just, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, he didn't change. Like, he just believed. He was really, that script was the Bible to Nolte. I was really impressed. Like, maybe he's old school, older actor, but it was the Bible. He, he, he was honored that we wrote it for him. And he just stuck to the script. And, and even up. during that scene, which should have could have been yeah. improv, it wasn't. So all of that stuff, like... That hits his Ahab and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all there. We just didn't want to lean on it too much. Wow. You got to be careful with that stuff. Yeah. So, I think it'll work. speaking of some interesting questions, we're going to get to the, the last little interactive bit of the show here with the favorite line and all that. But we do want to open the forum up to the fans because Rox has been kind enough to be in the live chat this whole time. We have a few uh, fan <laughs> questions. We submitted some, some Twitter questions and uh, we're going to pull away. some special ones. Look at her smiling over there. Yeah, because She's everybody excited. in here has been so amazing today. Oh, the first one, though, is a big one. Yeah, really big because uh, our producers really wanted to be here today. Kevin Undergaro and Maria Menunos, And they couldn't because they're filming, which you guys understand. But they texted us a question they wanted to ask you. You kind of answered it a little bit. But they said, uh, we want to know how the movie has fared long term in terms of its ongoing popularity. To us, it was an instant sports classic like Rocky and Karate Kid and still is do others feel that way yeah I mean obviously I think <laughs> yeah this look at the reaction that you get I mean you know the kid who made Creed was dying to me and, you know McGab doesn't tell the story because he's got but the reason he went to Creed because Ryan Coogler was obsessed you know Warrior was a huge uh, huge movie to him and a major influence on Creed and they wanted to meet him and he Stallone was, as well. well Stallone I, didn't know, I actually it. didn't know that about Ryan when I went there. I just wanted there to pay my respects to Ryan because I just thought he did such a good job. When I met him, then he shared with me. It was great. I mean, he started bringing up his writing partner and his wife, and he said, "Tell, tell, tell, tell Gavin about what me and my brothers do." And and they, you know, he was he was, you know, honestly, I, I don't really think about the movie. Yeah. Um, because y- y- it just. You just move on, and yeah. you know I, I can I can say that I've never. It's been the, it was the best artistic experience of my life. Yeah, making this movie, making this movie, no question, most personal film. Working with him, you know, Anthony had never made a movie before, so that what was it was like a lot of I, I fed off Anthony in a lot of ways because, you know, 
there was he was watching it for the first time. Like young blood out there. Yeah, I remember know. saying Anthony, like, because it started with just two guys, like you said, in a house in a room, like you know, creating this thing, and then and Anthony's so hugely responsible for so many of so much of the script and the dialogue, and you know, I think that we figured out very early what our talents are storytelling talents mm-hmm. and how we I think work really well together and that was the beginning of that but I remember saying to Anthony you know first I wanted to be with him driving to set the first day because yeah. starting out with two guys in a house and then all of a sudden you arrive and there's you know there's there's 200 people and, and campers and crew and cables and generators right. and he was and it was like so I would feed like that yeah. sort of I can only imagine. But I, so I, 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 and then he was, you know, we did this together. Like, you know, there was, you know, he was rewriting all the time. We try to go, Anthony, what, I'm trying this. What do you think of this? Can you, can you write something? That was so like, it was, we fed off each other and it was just, um, you know, we became very close. And, um, and I think there was obviously a lot of things for me personally in my life and just the, you know, the idea of the movie and creating it that, and I think the third thing was that we, because it just happened really fast, we wrote it. It never happened before like this, except for the accountant, which was, was happened quickly. That's but we point, yeah. we wrote the movie, and we were making the movie, right? And usually, there's a long gestation. You know, just trying to get a movie made is so hard. But we got it to Lionsgate. They said, "Go, let's go." And a good so, example is the next movie that Gavin and I are doing next uh, this time next year together. Yeah, it was written. That the same time was written directly after. Oh, so we're talking that, four or five years ago, right? We're talking eight years ago, like you know, two thousand nine. Yeah, but so Sunny in '68, a movie we're going to do um, coming up, is was written at the most about the same time. So yeah. it just goes to show, like, and that's one more common story. Why is do you that you that? wait seven or eight years to get a project made because it's so hard? Yeah. to get to get movies made. Why did this happen so fast? What was it about the production that just made it? So um, what happened was I initially set it up at uh, at New Line. Right. That was where we were going to make the movie. Uh, Toby Emmerich, I was meeting with him, and he said, what do you want to do next? I just made a movie there. And I started telling him the story about these brothers, and, and he's like, let's do it. And I set up the movie at Lions, I mean at, at New Line. And then when we started going down the road writing it, um, I think we may have just about we just, I think we just finished the script. It was a weird confluence, but uh, this is when uh, New Line got folded into Warner Brothers, right, and became a part of Warner Brothers proper. And right. Toby called me up and he said, "Look, like Warner Brothers is never they're basically inheriting everything that New Line had, and everything had to run through the pipeline of Warner Brothers." And he said, "Warner Brothers is never going to make this movie in a million years." <laughs> so he said, "Get out of here now." just go with God with the script. He goes, because once they realize that they have this, they're never going to make it and they're never going to let it go. So he said, just get out of here. And we went around town with it and um, you know, people liked the script but no one would make the movie except we went over to Lionsgate as one of our meetings and they had they had been developing a MMA film. It was yeah. called Pitbull, remember? Yes. Yeah, dog so, uh, yeah, that was a dismal script. Sorry, whoever wrote that. I never read it. It's a terrible <laughs> job. He did a terrible job. I never read it, but I walked in and they said, you know, we have this MMA movie. We just got the script and we've been developing, developing it for the last two years. And Would you want to make this? And I was like, no. Like, but here. this is ten times better. I'm like, I didn't even read that. I'm like, I, right. why would I, I'm not here to do, first of all, no. Like, <laughs> and we're here for Warriors. So they were like, okay, then you know, we want to, they were interested in the world. Right. And they just greenlit the movie like we were I walked out of there like okay let's make the film like wow. we have to Hell budget yeah. it and everything and 
So, um, but to answer your question, races. yes, people often treat it like <laughs> a classic. People treat it like you want to count, like they treat it like it's an Oscar-winning movie. Like yeah, when yeah. you run into people, the way people talk about it, yeah. it has the reverence of a movie that's just yeah. Nobody in the, thinks that that movie didn't make any money. Yeah, well, yeah we were shocked as well. Yeah, we I couldn't shocked. believe it. So, uh, by the way, Shawshank is a similar story. Yeah, you go back and look at some box up. Box office is just what it is. It's yeah, just, well, it's a different world now too. But so let's let's try to uh, rapid fire through a few of them. See if we can answer some of these questions quickly. This is from James Finneran who wants to know: Did anyone in the MMA business give you guys a hard time about doing this movie? It's our boy James. Yeah, I guess. I mean, not not no. Don't make this movie, but um, they were. Dana White and the UFC were deeply uh, um, unhelpful. Yeah, uh, they kept us from using the MGM Grand Arena in Vegas, for example. Um, just to be, so we had to move it to just to be a pain in the ass. MGM or? was the home of the UFC. They wouldn't let us. Uh, the movie was originally set uh, in Vegas, right? Um, the fight the tournament, and then we moved it to Atlantic City, which in the end was great. was great, anyways. Um, but yeah, they didn't help at all, and they were very anti the movie because uh, they, if you were going to be involved in the UFC, they want like script approval, right? And and you'll often find that in the world that you make a movie in, that's while it should be the the world that embraces you the most, and a lot of people in that world did, um, a lot of people didn't, right? You know, a lot of you, look, you go on go on the underground and read go on a, uh, any thread on the underground when the movie came out. Those kind of fans will just nitpick. Oh, of course. Oh, well, this wouldn't happen like right, that. They'll right, just right. get. They'll go so deep. It's like, you know, you ever listen to one of your friends? Like you see a movie oh, that you love, but it has a lawyer in it. They're like, all they do after the movie is talk about how the lawyer scenes weren't authentic. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. You're missing the whole point. Yeah, you don't talk like that in court. Yeah, but yeah. still, shut up. <laughs> Watch so I would the movie. say uh, yes and no, but yeah, there was there was uh, they 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 did not. Uh, they did not allow us to uh, advertise on any UFC Got events. Uh, I would say they 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 were an obstacle uh, for sure. Yeah. What else you got, Roxy? Uh, Flickster Far wants to know how was the, deci- the decision made to make Tommy the guy who punches into submission and Brendan the tactically smart one? Uh, I mean, I think we answered that earlier. I mean, it's yeah. it's the battle of the two and the character of the two. You know, like, yeah, it's the Cain and Abel. Like, there's just the whole. And one actor was <clears throat> one actor was was a fighter and one wasn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah well, but I mean, it was also <laughs> creatively like the thing about Tommy was I, I always I used to say to Tommy I said when you all you want to do is hit the crack pipe. Mm-hmm. You want to hit the crack pipe. When you're a junkie, you want to get high as fast as possible, and your high is knocking the guy out. Yeah. So it's crack pipe, and that's who the character is. It. So yes, there were, we were, we were like like you were saying, Anthony. You get sometimes you're forced to make artistic decisions, and 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 they're the best decisions. Like Dana White not being supportive of the movie, and we have to go to Atlantic City. Once we got to Atlantic City, it's like. This is great. Like, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's so much better, you know? It's just different. Um, yeah, so that was right for the character. He should, you know, we, we corner the characters. One character has to, he may not have his, he may not be better with his fists. He may not be better with his feet. He may not be better with his elbows. He, he But he's got a bigger heart than, you're right. going to have to kill him. Yeah. yeah, He's got a bigger heart than anybody else that's going to step in that cage. And the only way he's going to lose is if you fucking kill him. I love that. I love and, that. And message. Tommy was the... So, like, what's the opposite of that? How do we flip that? Well, Tommy goes in and he annihilates. He's yeah. a, you know, he's a yeah. nihilist. By the way, I think not. Tommy's first fight is a fist pumper for me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He knocks out so Barbosa. Good, that's man. one of my favorites. Because you haven't seen... Like, yeah. that, that was a, I love that one. 
one punch. He's breaking Brian's every rule. Both of us been knocked out. How did these? Uh, how did Edgerton and Hardy deal with their injuries on set? Because I mean, Edgerton tore his MCL, right? And Hardy broke a rib, a finger, and a, a toe, or something like that. Are these guys pretty much stone cold badasses. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they dealt with it. It was rough. It was rough. You guys had to halt filming for a little while, right? On uh, on Edgerton. Yeah, and then you know when Joel's knee, when when he hurt his knee, all the stuff on the you know in the corners. Yeah, it was like oh, there's an opportunity to just shoot everything in the corner. Got it. Yeah, uh, Frank, and I had a little more time. Yeah, to was do that was out of stool for two weeks. Just take advantage yeah. of things. He was out of stool for two weeks. Yeah, and um, we just shot when he was you know all I needed to do was sit and right. stamp. But he was so a lot like of other people. Yeah. A lot of other people yeah. would have been out with that injury that Joel had. Yeah, T- Tommy had you know garden variety. These guys. You know, the difference between when you're making a boxing movie, you got boxing gloves, which are, you know, 14, 16 ounces, and then you could pad them for a movie, mm-hmm. so you could punch someone in the face. You could really fight at close quarters in a boxing movie and capture it all, yeah. sweat coming off someone's face. But MMA gloves are only four ounces, so they're really just to protect your hands from breaking. things hurt. Yeah. So if we Gav had these guys fighting at close quarters, because the only way it would look realistic, they had to be right up in each other's faces. So these guys were really, they were hitting each other a lot, yeah. just because they had to. Or else it would look like the the garbage can and yeah. Godfather was yeah. like, well, I mean, it had to yeah. be really close. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. What else so, yeah, so it was tough for them, and they got yeah. into it. You know, a couple of times they got into it because yeah. they were, yeah. you know, nobody always get punched in the face for right. the 45th day in a row. In general, we're getting a lot of questions about what you guys are expecting in the future years to come. So uh, the Clement W. wants to know, having been in the industry for 20-plus years, what are you looking forward to in the next 20 years as a filmmaker? Uh, people had mentioned if you guys were looking to do something like a Creed 2 or more documentaries like The Smashing Machine. Um, just, just want to tell good stories. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> and personal stories. Would you ever do something like a Creed 2? Would you ever, if, you were, if they were, I mean, they were to offer and they were to say, no, it's not not for you. Well, I think Ryan should do Creed 2. Right. Ryan, you know, what Ryan did, what I, I was, I really loved that movie. I thought he did an incredible job. I thought he not easy to take that that franchise and make it fresh. Yeah, and turn it upside that. down and find a doorway into it that was really, really unique. And I, I just think Ryan is uh, really, really talented. So my God, I mean, that would, I, first of all, I couldn't do it as well as him. Sure, nor should I, and nor would I be, be interested in. A warrior two is out of the question. Yeah, I was Thank thinking about that. We had a lot of those too. Warrior two. It's just never going to happen. Like that, some, the story just completes itself. Mm-hmm. You could make Warrior two, but then it's just for money. Like it's obviously right. just for money. Be curious yeah. to see how Warrior two would fare with how much this movie's loved now. If people would actually see, right? It. It'd probably I think be a lot more money it. than the yeah. first one, but it wouldn't be. I don't think the storytelling would be even close. It, it would be bad. Honestly, it, it would be bad. That's yeah. on. That's on a not. Go watch the Bali. Go watch the Bali. Yes, brothers. Is that what it's called? I think so. Brothers. Rox, you want to fire off one or two more? That's subtle. Yeah. Uh, Serge wants to know, if you guys could go back and change any scene, what would you change and why? Yeah, and I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? I don't know. You <laughs> wanted more time for the beach. Oh, yeah, you're right. That, <laughs> yes. You, you know me better than me. Yeah. It's a, it's uh, the beach scene. scene with the two brothers, that was, we were really fighting. Uh, we had a lot to do. We We had like... Yeah, we had we were up for like forty eight hours straight. Remember we that time? One, shooting, one night on the beach with light fading and yeah, because we had shot it. some other things at night, and then we had to get out to the beach and and then had to get the scene done before the sun came up, and it was very difficult to do. We didn't have a lot of time, so that was one where I wish we had more. That's one of those inside sports ones where we can't stand that scene. Like 
I can accept it. That, that yeah. scene, and that's the scene that the actors, that was always the main scene, like when actors would come in and work right. with each other, it was always the beach scene. Because yeah. it's the first time that you see the two of them talk yeah. to each other in the whole film. I, we yeah. both feel like, and people come up to me all the time, they love, that's one of people's favorite scenes in the movie, they love it, I totally get it, but oh, I just feel we both yeah. Should have been so much more it, to you guys. Should have been better, yeah. Alright, Rox, what else powerful. you got, girlfriend? Uh, this is from at DTruck52. Oh, I know DTruck. Joe. How, how, how really? <laughs> well, uh, he wants to know, when making this story, was there different directions for characters or alternative endings to the movie that you decided not to use? I mean, there was no different directions for the characters. There was no. different things in the movie. The movie's like, at one point, the movie started and Mac Tommy was fighting illegally in Mexico. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting, because right? that's how Creed starts. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Tommy was fighting in the underground in Mexico, and there was a whole kind of maybe fifteen minute uh, on the page at least. Did I read, opening to the movie? There was an original opening too with him fighting in a cage match in prison. In prison, yeah. yeah. And that was the original opening. Oh yeah, that was yeah. We cut that too. Yeah, we actually shot that. Didn't we? Well, that was in a prison. In the prison, yeah, in, in Mexico, West Virginia. Yeah, yeah in a cage, like in a, a bottom of a. Yeah, and then we just decided that wasn't to start the movie with. It didn't uh, work. I mean, when I was shooting it, I realized it didn't work. It was. But the stu- actually, the stu- that was one of the studio really wanted like to open with action and right. They wanted the prison bar. Like, they wanted the yeah. prison bar, salacious, animalistic. Everybody hang out, hang out. Like they right. wanted that, which would, yeah, the whole time was like I've, I've seen that. So that would have felt times. like someone else's movie. Like the way that this movie starts, the immediate relationship with the father and the son, and the drinking and the coffee and the sobriety. It's like. This is the movie that we want to see, that I want to see as right. a fan of this movie. They wanted you know? a punt. They wanted to come out with it, but we, I think that we did come out with, we did come out fighting. Absolutely. It just did it yeah. with, in character, not with fists, but with yeah. words. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great opening scene. So I think we're, uh, we're going to move, we're going to move in. Oh, okay, one, one more? One last this one? This is just a comment uh, from Brian Hurst, who's been a fan <laughs> yeah, of you guys right, from day one. Uh, this is going back to Anthony's story hey, a little earlier. He says, I don't like fresh tomatoes, but if Nolte hands you food, you eat it. Hell, I'd eat a cat turd. So, that's, that's our point. point. I feel yeah, like you guys lucked out with the tomatoes. If you went into his back house, <laughs> there were cat turds. There weren't cats. Remember the, the Noah story with the with yeah. the toilet didn't flush in Nolte's house. <laughs> I bet he didn't mind. <laughs> so say you you can go to the bathroom and next and come back months later and you might still find what you left. Remember me, Nolte? I'm gonna say I know so much about you. <laughs> yeah. Where are your uh, tomatoes? So uh, let's let's get into the last little interactive yeah. bit of the show. We didn't mention it earlier, guys, but we uh, the podcast itself is on Twitter at, AM, at AMA Podcast. You can find me at, at Ben Bateman Media. You can find me at Andrew Guy. And these and guys just don't care. You guys don't have Twitter? No. And Roxy. You is, can find me at Roxy Stryer. I looked for you guys forever. No social media? Zero. That's when you no. know you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> just get rid of that shit. Not one. No Facebook. Instagram. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. So if you guys Too want to tweet cool. at us about the show or have any questions, uh, comments, whatnot, just let us know. Uh, we are going to do a little giveaway uh, at the end of the show, so so stay tuned and we'll, we'll let you know. But let's get into the last bit of the show. If you guys want to comment, let us know what you're thinking as well. Let us know. This is favorite line. So, um, yes. I, I think you and I might We have, have the same one. I'm going to let you take it. <laughs> okay. Why are we here, Brendan? Why are we here? Because Yeah, because if we can't win the fight, we will throw in the towel. I will get kissed. We'll, I will get tests. I will get good kids. We will go home. You don't win the fight. You don't have a home. It's yeah. the best. It's oh, the best fuck, shit ever. It's so good. It's the best shit ever. I mean, it <laughs> blows my mind. Like Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo makes the cut. Frank Grillo, oh, man. Frank Grillo, man. He kills uh, I it. would. I would go so far as to say. I, I think that was probably improv. I think Frankie probably just did that himself. Oh, so good. That, I don't know if that was scripted. Even you guys have a favorite line. <clears throat> Might have been scripted. Most, I mean, that might have been scripted. I think that there were, things were scripted, and then he went off. I mean, that yeah. was a lot of the a lot of the stuff in the corners were 
once we knew what the intention of what was happening, right. uh, Frank knows fighting so well. Yeah. And Frank and Joel became so close that a lot of times we would do what was scripted and then, you know, we were writing stuff with Greg Jackson, getting things and then and then just letting Frank just go. Yeah, Greg he, Jackson, the great trainers, trains, you know, so many, oh, GS, yeah, so many great, that, John yeah. Jones, JSP, well, Holly Holm. Uh, that was Greg's game plan that beat Ronda Rousey. Did I tell you guys my, uh, my Frank Grillo story? No. All right, so uh, we worked at the same bar for a long time together and I was bartending one day and he comes in, I'd never met him before, but I was a big Warrior fan. I don't think I'd ever met you either. And he's sitting with some buddies and he says to me, uh, all right, you know, give me give me some beer and I'm like, what do you want? He's like, give me a flight, one of those, you know, four glasses of different beers. And I was like, well, what do you like? He's like, I don't know, just give me some beer. And I was like, all right, well, what don't you like? And he goes, I'll tell you what, don't give me any dirty pussy. <laughs> and that's it. That was what he said. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm having dinner with him tonight, and uh, I couldn't be less surprised by what you just said. Then he left his, then he left his credit card, and I, I ran and it, I I ran ran it after down the street. And I was like, I was like, I was like, Frank, Frank. I was like, here's your card. Huge fan of Warrior, man. Great to meet you. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, Ben constantly uses Frank Grillo in his recasts. Yeah, because he just loves him. He's love falling in love with the movie. So, Frank and Penn, a very unorthodox trainer. Oh man. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming out to Beethoven, I get no music at all. Yeah. But Beethoven, Frank, this is uh, going to this join is Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that guy uh, is named Sam Sheridan, who has an incredible book called uh, A Fighter's Heart. Um, that I highly recommend to anybody. If you want to talk about a badass, Sam Sheridan went to Harvard and decided to test his own courage and went and lived in Thailand and Brazil and trained with people he never fought before and ended up fighting in Thailand in one of those 5,000-seat Thai halls with everybody smoking and gambling. And the front of the book is him covered in blood. Like It's a fascinating book oh, called that's Fighter's Heart. Yeah. To check that. What's it called again? A Fighter's Heart by Fighter's uh, Sam Heart. Sheridan, who is uh, one of the two announcers in the movie, along with our uh, great friend Brian Callum. Who's also... Me. He, he boxes with my cousin all the time, yeah. apparently. They, who, they, has a, who has a podcast called The Fighter and the Kid, which yeah. is apparently... It's a good guy. Do you guys have a favorite line specifically, or it jumps out at you? Oh, favorite line. You guys think for a minute. I'm going to yeah. go with mine. So, so, okay, yeah. It's, it's, the same, it's the same type of thing. It's just, it's just Brendan, man. Like, what he says to Tess when they're sitting there, he comes home after getting his ass kicked. Uh, but he wins it's the, in that first yeah. strip club fight. And first of all, Jennifer Morrison is incredible in this. We scene. love her. She's she the ultimate wonderful. movie wife. Like, just, <laughs> yeah, she's the ultimate movie her. wife. Jennifer's yeah. the ultimate movie yeah, wife. She, yeah. She's like every guy wants that woman. Yeah. Um, but it's when he <laughs> yeah. comes home and he's sitting there, and she's like, "I don't care. What, like, we don't have to have a home." You know, and talking about yeah. raising kids or their kids in a house where her father gets beat up, and he goes, "We're not giving up our house. It's our home. We're not going backwards." And it's just this moment of it, you're watching it in the movie, and I'd already seen it a hundred times, obviously, but you're just like this guy will not be stopped. Yeah. And it's just the true like human spirit just going and going no matter what. Like you said, you got to fucking kill this guy if you want him to not be a problem in your life because he's going to go and go until he can't anymore. And just that line completely <laughs> sums up that who Brandon Conlon is. Right. Yeah, completely. I'm going to go with probably Frank. I'll go another props to Frank Grillo because I love Frank line readings are great. Yeah. Probably Frank uh, telling Brendan he has a better chance of starting a boy band. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. 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 Everybody always likes that line. And Frank is the right guy. Yeah. He's yeah, a that, good guy. That first scene that's that's really what's great about knowing what actors you have. Like we're, We would watch Frank and Joel sit around and talking and stuff. So a lot of those scenes were written, really rewritten after we saw their dynamic. And then yeah. that was. We knew, oh, well, Frank can deliver a line like that. Some yeah. guys can't. A line doesn't work with some actors, but Frank. That's great. What do you got? I, I don't know. Don't that know. I have a yeah. favorite line. Fair enough. Fair enough. Look, he wrote the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he, he's responsible he for uh, for the dialogue in the movie. So I, I, you know, I would I would be happy to find. A, I love. I, I just can't. I don't know that I can. I can identify a line that. 
I mean, that, we've seen the movie a hundred times, man. Yeah, yeah. They'll, yeah. Do, they'll, they'll give you a lot. Yeah, we'll yeah. They know it way better than you do. So let's uh, let's move into hero villain ranking really quickly, yeah. and we'll, we'll kind of speed through this. So what we do every week is, is we rank the hero and the villain on an all time list for uh, what we do on the show, and then we also rank the movie on the all time list. So why don't we start with the best to worst and where this movie ranks? Okay. Uh, okay. So Andrew can go first. Uh, this is this is pretty remarkable, guys. You guys did pretty well. <laughs> you made uh, Andrew's number two movie. Number two all-time warrior. Ahead of The Matrix, ahead of Aliens, ahead of The Last Samurai, and right behind Gladiator, which is my favorite movie of all time, hands down. So for me to put this movie there was pretty shocking to me, but you know what? Screw T2. Yeah. And Aliens and Die Hard. Like, this movie is my action movie. This is the Because I like dramas more than action anyway. And to have, that's why Gladiator and Warrior are my top two, man. It's, it's, it's perfect for the genre. It's exactly what I'm looking for in a movie. There's great action. There's great acting. It's shot beautifully. There could be, because they're all Conlins, they could have gone to the fucking pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But with the way it was written and the way it was shot, I would have loved it. So this movie to me is flawless, and that's why it's my number two. We did a full for anybody who's watching who knows our list. We did a full re-ranking for the episode just because there was a bunch of movies that were kind of out of place. So we moved a few things around. Uh, so jump over to mine. It almost is in the same spot. I put it at number three only because Point Break is my single favorite movie of all time, and T Two is the greatest action movie ever made. But uh, almost the same, number yeah. three. It's a top three movie for both of us. It's not, not often that we do a movie on the show no. where they're both that high. Not that stoked being behind Keanu Reeves, but... <laughs> the original Point Break is just such a classic. Oh, oh it's, it's I'm a, an it's FBI a, agent. It's a yeah. very fun movie. The lists are tough for us because Big we have to toe the line between greatest and favorite. So it's it's if I'm ranking on like the all-time impact list, it's a different list, and Point Break doesn't go there. But if I'm ranking right. it somewhere in between the two, and it's an action movie list... Point Break, T2, Aliens, I think, I The Matrix. two and three is very strong. Provided that uh, every week someone doesn't come in and <laughs> get moved up to the down. two and three slot. <laughs> yeah. We're going to watch this in six months. We're going to be number 19. Anytime we have a guest, they're the number two movie. <laughs> well, sometimes the movies move around. We get surprised. When, we, you know, when I watched Predator, I always loved Predator. It's always been one of my favorite movies. But I always thought it was this really silly movie. When we watched it this last time, I was like, this is such a better movie than people give it credit for. Yeah. It's a Schwarzenegger. But it's got all these great scenes. Like, it's really a badass movie. Which are the ones you guys agree on? T2? There's not any that we have in the same place, I don't think, on the list. There's some, there's some irrationally highly placed movies. Like, for instance, I have Live, Die, Repeat, like, way too high. Like, I think that movie's just incredible. Doug Lyman would be very happy that you're li- calling it by his modified title. Though, yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have some really high ones as well. So we're going to hop over to our heroes and villains. Um, we're going to go with the heroes first. And, and like I said, for the purpose of the show, we always have to have a hero and a villain. We even added Samuel Ger- Samuel Gerard from the Fugitive to the villains list. Uh, even so though he's not really the villain, even though he's not, just like how Brandon and, and yeah, Tommy, neither really of villain. them are the villain in this movie either. Look who's uh, look who's number one on the other. That's hilarious. Which one? Who's you have? Uh, um, Ben's Doc Holiday. But Gab and I are doing a, a writing a show right now with, about Doc Holiday. It's gonna. Oh yeah. We're gonna do a TV show. Um, Kilmer and yeah. Tombstone is like le- legend, le- just legendary. One, oh, he's one of the crazy. It's a fun performance. Yeah. Um, um, so I have Brandon Conlon at number six behind Ellen Ripley, Neo, and Maximus Decimus Meridius. And the reason for that is everything we've talked about in the show. I love the underdog. I love the way he fights. I just he's on he's unstoppable. Those numbers don't add up. Three. We, we have decided. Three, only got oh, three people. We keep, we keep filling well, the blanks. I got, as we I, got a, I got empty spots. So technically, on my list, he's the number four all time until I get in two, three, four, right, and seven, and all that. Yeah. So I I, I didn't put him quite as high. He um, hates the movie. No, <laughs> I put him at number twelve. 
but I mean, the guys ahead of it's the T eight hundred from Terminator Two. It's John McClane, John Rambo, and Ripley, Ethan Hunt. Well, like, from if you had Rambo and, and Ripley, you got to feel good about. That. But I like him better than Riggs from Lethal Weapon One. I think Definitely. he's better than Riggs. I think he's better than than Johnny Utah. He beats Johnny Utah for me. So there you go. So he beats Johnny Utah, but Point Break beats Warrior. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Um, I could poke some holes in my yeah, Let's talk. Let's talk, let's talk villains. villains. Let's talk villains. All right, I got Conlon, Tommy Conlon, Tommy Reardon at ten. Um, Pretty good. I, I originally had him at two. How is uh, he? A, how is he a villain? I had to exactly. He's not a villain. Yeah, but he's, he's, you gotta have an. He's the antihero, and he is. He's the he's guy that. I mean, I was sitting there watching this with someone on Monday night. It was the first time they've ever seen it, and going into the last fight, I was like, "Who do you pick?" She's like, "I can't." I cannot pick a person to win this fight. I want, I guess, the school teacher. I guess the dad because of right. everything he has going for him. But I want them both to win so badly. And she's like, he's like the jerk, bad, like kid little brother. I guess he's the bad guy. Because I, I was trying to explain to her, like, who do I pick? Um, so that's why he ends up where he is. He's on the he's on the villains list because we had to put him somewhere. And he's my 10th villain of all time. Well, and the thing is, as you said, he has to... Sorry, it flips over. You can see the rest of mine here. But he has to die at the hands of his brother to be reborn. So right. in the movie, he's driven by anger. And so in some sense, he is kind of... He's definitely more of a villain than Brendan. Totally. He's more ferocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean... He's terrifying. He's the same spot for me. He's number 10. Um, you know, there's only... Again, once again, the people ahead of him. It was tough. It, this is hard because I don't really think of him as a villain. Yeah, they're not traditional heroes yeah. and villains. But he's such a good character that it's like, I still put him ahead of like even Drago from Rocky IV, even though he's like truly a truer villain. But like, right. it's just a better character. So he's That'd be Koba if we rank Koba. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, All right, so we're going to move along. We're going to move on to, this is one of our favorite parts of the show. This is what fans interact the most with, and that's the recasting of the movie. This is We're almost done, guys. We're almost there. <laughs> so the recast of the movie is where uh, we, pick, we pick actors from a separate... Uh, period in time. So this movie was made in 2011, so we picked guys from the 80s and the 90s. Who would play these roles in 1990, 1985? Who would be yeah. Patty Conlon, Tommy Conlon, and Brendan Conlon? Who would play them the best? If this movie had been made, let's say, in 1991, who mm-hmm. would have been in the roles? So, uh, do you want to go first with your with I'll your Patty? S- yeah, I'll start off with my Patty. 1996, 97, Gene Hackman. He's haggard. Yeah. He's grizzly. He's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> he's a beautiful man. So he's grizzled. So I, I was thinking, I was like, okay, the thing that about Nolte that makes this role so good is that he's, you can see that you would have hated him when he was younger. You can see he was an abusive alcoholic and he's, you know, he's very grizzled looking. But I went with Paul Newman. I went with like 92 Paul Newman. And I'm talking I, I, Newman. I would have gone Paul Newman. Was it? You would have? That's and that's one. because, and the reason I do it is because he's so like charming and handsome that he, if you see him all cleaned up when he's older, you just imagine how uh, abusive and manipulative, like a, like just like how his handsome, confident, really alcoholic was. father would have been when he was younger. And Newman's <clears> just so good that, yeah, that was that was mine. You picked two of the greatest actors of all time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I would have gone. New, and Newman's my favorite actor of all time. Yeah, but I, I think the problem with Newman is that, um, you know, when you look at a film like HUD, where he tried to play the biggest heel with no redeemable qualities whatsoever, it still didn't work for him. Right. Because he can't, he could never, people still found him. Something too lovable about him. Yeah, or charming or likable, even when he was, when he was trying to be unlikable. He has a blue-eyed charm to him that just never goes away. That's why he's a movie, and and I think he's the greatest movie actor of all time. I mean, he, you know, my, my dream in life would have been to work, artistically would have been to work with Paul Newman. I mean, he's my favorite, by far. Yeah. So it's hard for me to say that, but I don't think I don't. I don't see him. I, I, I'm. I'm with you. I, I think Hackman. Hackman has more of the qualities. The post color of money, Hackman's Newman. The, like, the, right, like, yeah. like color money is one of my favorite movies of all time. And like that, he just. You know, this the scene when he gets beaten by Forrest Whitaker, and he's like, "You showed him your ass," and he's in the and he's in the pool hall. 
And I just, I don't know, at that, at that age, he was just so good. I think he could have gotten... <laughs> Even Sully, when he played Sully in, a per, in a Nobody's Fool, you know, which was oh, yeah, a, sure, great, sure. Great, a great role and, you know, sort of a down-and-out guy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There's no right or wrong in this. Uh, I think we should go Tommy next. All right, Brendan. So who do you have for Tommy Conlon? So t- <laughs> you told me you're Tommy Conlon, and I actually, in the end, I like yours a little better. Of course you do. But I still like mine. I still like mine a lot. Um, so I went like like a 1994 Mickey Rourke. So after the fall uh, from okay. grace, after he's already like, he's he's already sort of out of the limelight. He's already troubled. He's, he's much more angry, much less sexy than he was in like 1989. Uh, and that's who I went with Tommy. I think he's still... Because he was boxing, I think at that point already he was almost boxing. Right. He ended up boxing in the nineties. You're picking all of our all-time favorite actors. Rourke, okay. yeah. yeah. Rourke's well, one of his favorite actors. Eighties Rourke, like I mean, even as far back as Diner, which is like one of my favorite. favorite movies. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, this might be our. I mean, we could do a whole. If we show pick one diner. movie that was probably diner each of our favorites. If you combine it, it would be Diner. Yeah, I, it was I, the movie we bonded over when we met. We really? talked about Diner for hours. Yeah, fucking love that. I we'll see Tim. I see Tim Daly around Santa Monica all the time. Yeah, anybody's in that cast gets a. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. But uh, I think Rourke would have been great. I, th- I still think yours is a little better, That's though. good. Rourke's good. I went with, with 90s Russell Crowe. L.A. Confidential Time, before he did Gladiator, before it. Because that's kind of where, even though that's where more so where uh, Edgerton is in, in his career at the time that this movie came out, I think for, because we all know Russell Crowe can yeah. be a bad boy and an asshole, and he's 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 big. He can yeah. fight, you know, so... Tommy Conlon, Russell Crowe, they got the same attitude, same look. I think it'd be, I think it'd be good. Yeah, I, I, I love that casting. It's just he had the, like, like L.A. Confidential, he's got that rage. Exactly. And I, I think you could really use that rage for the character. Because the that's looks really of rage and Tommy in yeah. the ring are some of the best things. Like Completely. when he knocks out Mad Dog yeah. in the ring, it's great. Yeah. Uh, all right, Brandon Conlon. That's a good one. Uh, so this one, mine's a little funny, but I was thinking about the year. If I went, like, 1992... I went Nick Cage, 92. And I'm talking before leaving Las Vegas, when he was still, like, up-and-coming, pretty jacked. He was in really good shape. Uh, but he did all those movies, like, It Could Happen to You, where he's, like, this really nice husband, or he's, like, a kind of well-to-do guy. He was winning very sweet. Ticket. Yeah, say what? The winning ticket? Is that what it's called? Uh, he, like, leaves the lottery ticket no, for that's, the waitress? that's It Could Happen to You. Oh, It Could Happen to yeah. You, right, right. Sandra okay. Bullock? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can't remember who. Yeah, it might be. But, uh, you know, or like he looks so rosy cheeked and moonstruck. He just had this, like, really young, really nice, but then he did the like, Vampire's Kiss and all those movies where I know he could put on the size. So I think he would have been a really good Brendan. I think he has the chops before he got so crazy, before everybody was like, Nick Cage is just nuts. Right. Nick Cage was, was Sean Penn. I mean, Nick Cage and Sean Penn were routinely mentioned in the same conversation as far as in the mid up and coming actors right. with integrity from the, 80, from the early 80s on. Even yeah. They were in Racing with the Moon together. They were the same. They were yeah. considered the same, same guy. integrity-wise. <clears throat> yeah. Like, uh, and Promise. Well, Cage has all those movies they did. Rumblefish and, and like, Wild at Heart. And, Raising and, and, Arizona. Like, Raising Arizona. Like, like, Red Rock West. He did all these movies in the late 80s and 90s that were just great. Valley Girl, Ch- Racing with the Moon. He did a lot. He was a wonderful actor. And now Peggy he Sue just, got married. He lost <laughs> yeah, it. Peggy Sue. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. He lost the plot completely. What do you got? I'm pretty proud of this because he's a few years older than, than uh, <clears throat> Russell Crowe, which is the same with Brendan and Tommy. Um, Kevin Costner. At the time, yeah, like like, like pre dances with like, wolves, like Coffee? ninety, so like like right around there. after No Way Out, after Untouchables, but before Dances with yes. Wolves. Okay, yeah, so where people wanted to know, wanted to see more of him, they liked him. He was he was about to be that guy. Like we talked about him and Swayze, yeah, and how he was kind of that guy over Swayze at that time, right at that time. Like yeah. that, he's a little more star power than these guys, but. God, he would have been a good Brendan. I think your recast is really sound. I think yours beats mine by like. But remember, guys, if you're watching this, you get to vote on Twitter. Uh, hashtag Master Recaster is the uh, that's that's yeah. the. So you're let going us know who Crow, wins. Costner, going Hackman. Crow, Costner, Hackman, and you're going Rourke, Cage, Paul Newman. Who took it for you, boys? Who's the Master Recaster? 
your recast is better. Yours has two of my three favorite actors. <laughs> yeah. All time. Um, I can't wrap my head around any of those people. <laughs> You're like, this, that movie sucks. No, no, no. I just for that for Instead Brendan because they're fighting. It's a little weird. Yeah, to me, for but... Brendan or or Tommy, like the Hackman, I get. But the other guys, I'm not quite. Yeah, you know, I'm not really seeing. Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about uh, Ben and Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be Tommy. You think so? You definitely be Tommy. I'd be the adopted half. It's a total Tommy. We, we open the movie. He has just got broken up with. Yep. I've got my bottle of whiskey. Why were you? Why were you just broken up with? Oh god! You were gonna get this <laughs> can't, can't, can't get it. Exactly. Can't get it. Yeah, thank you. We've been working, working with. She couldn't put up with me anymore. <laughs> Left. Her loss in the long run. You're gonna. Um, we we should move on to the last bits here because we're almost out of time. Um, so. We, no, there's no, the, no there's, Cage versus Cruise. <laughs> we do a segment on the show where we talk about whether Nick Cage or Tom Cruise were one of the roles. We won't do that. Yeah, the answer is always going to be Cruise. So. Yeah. yeah, not necessary. <laughs> but uh, we always talk about there's three action movie categories. There's totally legitimate, totally ridiculous, and ridiculously legitimate. So totally ridiculous is Face Off and Con Air. It's movies that don't hold together. They're hilariously bad, but they're awesome in a bad way. Uh, there's movies that are totally legitimate. So that's Terminator Two. That's The Matrix. That's The Fugitive. You know, yep. they're true classics. And then there's the middle category, which is ridiculously legitimate. We think of movies like Point Break, The Rock. They're generally rooted in one really strong performance in the middle of kind of an absurd context, but they mm-hmm. hold together. They're really compelling the whole time. I thought you were going to say Point Break for, yeah, for that category. Yeah, Predator is that it's category, perfect. totally. Unintentionally funny at times. Um, for me, this movie is no question totally it's legit. totally legit. There's 100%. no part of it, because I, I never laugh unintentionally. There's no part of it that I'm ever like... No, this is a little bit of a stretch. It's just, I only laugh now because I've seen the movie so many times, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good, good line, Frank. Yeah, yeah. good line, Frank. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's a pretty easy one. Would, yeah. you, would you guys agree? I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. <laughs> totally like, ridiculous. The other, the other categories are just there's no we got no room in those categories. <laughs> yeah. Anything involves the word ridiculous that you spend years of your life on, you don't yeah, really I mean, want to end up in that category. No good. Uh, so really quickly, we are going to pitch next week. So before we do, guys, um, we are going to be signing these two rundowns. We aren't going to be signing them. Yeah, Gavin no and Anthony have offered, uh, they're kind enough to sign these rundowns. We're going to give these away to you, the fans. Uh, and to do that, you have to tweet in at us at hashtag AMA podcast. Or I'm sorry, at AMA podcast is the Twitter, but hashtag AMA warrior. Uh, should we put anything else? AMA warrior giveaway, maybe? Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, AMA Warrior, and then just talk about the giveaway. It'd be fine. No, because AMA Warrior was the question. So let's do hashtag AMA Warrior giveaway. (laughs) So hashtag AMA Warrior giveaway, and we will be mailing out these two scripts that are signed. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah. Well, well, they can sign it. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's have, let's have you guys talk you about. Should have uh, Roxy hand deliver them though. You can juice up the. We will. <laughs> she is, I know you can't see this on film, but she's that's wearing knee socks, so that's that's <laughs> happening right now. Thigh highs, actually. Thanks for calling me out. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for wearing the thigh highs. <laughs> Roxy, can you toss me that sharpie this next year? Seriously? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then what, what, we're going to talk to you guys about Ben didn't play sports growing up. It's not, it's not his fault. I feel like that was a really good throw. Was a good throw. Was like completely star, completely professional performance by Ben until <laughs> right then. Yeah. Cut the show. Yeah. Um, so you guys have two two projects coming up that you're working on separately. Obviously, you got the accountant, which we would love to wrangle you back in for that. And then you're working on Midnight Kush, right? So we want to yeah. we want you guys to talk about what you're working on next uh, to let the audience. And then we got a couple can, things together. I mean. Whatever you guys want to talk about, yeah, yeah. Well, Gavin has the accountant coming out, and I'm going to talk about the accountant for a second because I'm so I'm so stoked on it. I have nothing to do with the accountant except I'm a huge fan of the accountant. Uh, ben Affleck uh, plays a uh, uh, I love the accountant with uh, with uh, 
Can I say that he, what, he has a condition? Yeah. He has mild Asperger's. Asperger's. It's a fascinating and really, I think it's the most fun movie you've made. Um, it's it's really interesting and it's big. Warner Brothers uh, it, uh, tested so highly that Warner Brothers moved it to uh, October next year for award season. I think it's going to be a huge movie, um, which is probably going to make another one of it. It feels sequely. Really? Um, franchise more se- than sequel. It feels like a franchise. Um, it's going to be a huge movie, I think. It's more so. of an action movie than Warrior, you think? Yes. Way yeah, more. yeah, yeah. For it's sure. A, it's, I mean, it's it's really a, a sort of a like a gene splicing of a lot of different genres. It's very much of a character piece. It's, he's a black money accountant. So right. He's... He uh, he he goes in and uncooks the books for with the drug cartels or the mob. Or, uh, okay. And but he has he has Asperger's syndrome, so he's very very limited social skills, which is which we which which we it, you know we we made sure we met a lot of people on the spectrum, high end and and was really attuned to making sure we get that right. Right. Because you don't want to offend people. No. And, yeah. and I mean, we wanted to make sure that we represent, you know, that mm-hmm. um, uh, the condition in a very honest way. So we so that that was fun and fascinating and really cool. And then and then and then there's like a weird love story in there. And and then and it's a puzzle. It's a very much of a puzzle movie. You really have no idea. What you really, it's in a, like a usual suspects kind of way. You really have to. The Rubik's cube eventually lines up the colors, and then right. it's an a- it's an action film. Yeah, it's very much once it kicks into gear. Yeah, it it takes off. The cast is nuts, right? It's Anna Kendrick, J.K. Simmons, Ben Affleck. Uh, what John Lithgow's in it, right? Yeah, Just like someone else, at least one other person. Jeffrey Tambor, right? Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor's in it. Yeah, it's Rain Man with guns. John Bernthal. I love it. Rain Man with guns. I love it. And that's this October. It's coming out. October seventh. Yeah. There we go. Hell yeah! yeah. Um, uh, that's going to be great. You want to talk about your uh, your movie? Yeah, I'm doing a movie called Midnight Kush. It's uh, we're starting uh, shooting uh, next month with uh, Charlize Theron and Joel Edgerton. Nice. Boy. Oh yeah. Joel's brother Nash is uh, okay, very cool. stylish and really cool up and coming directors uh, directing it. Little Fargo. Nice. It's, uh, it's about an American businessman who who uh, gets kidnapped in Mexico and everything goes sideways. Cool. Um, but then Gavin and I together are doing a show. Uh, we're doing a show uh, on Doc Holiday. Oh, sweet! Um, that we haven't announced yet, but we're working on it right now. And then next uh, this time next year, we're doing a movie that we've been trying to do since Warrior, called Sunny in '68, which is about a uh, disgraced former professional poker player. Oh, nice! Um, which you, you two are really gonna like yeah. that movie. It's yeah, I mean these yeah. all sound great. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be fun. Is Val Kilmer playing Doc Holiday? Doc Gal- <laughs> Val Kilmer will not be playing a, a very a, a, a movie star. Will be playing Doc Holiday, but we shouldn't. Probably shouldn't say who it is yet. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, hell yeah, man. I'm excited for all those things coming up. I can't wait. So uh, why don't we have you guys uh, do do the quick signing for the fans here? We'll, uh, we'll sign this one and that one. We'll get these mailed out. Anywhere, I'm, I'm keeping gonna, mine. What's, what's yeah, sign it anywhere you want. What's, not, what's, not, what's the next week's movie? I'll tee up your... your uh, se- oh, yeah. yeah we're, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bateman. Why don't you pitch it while they're signing these? Yeah, we... <laughs> We saw the trailer for 13 Hours, the new Michael Bay movie, and uh, we thought it looked really sweet, and the re- and the reviews are pretty sweet. Like, they look really good. I mean, it's, for Bay, he's missed the mark a few times, and he's an action movie classic director, so oh, I, I think we're going to hit it. We're going to... We're going to make that the movie. So we are yeah. uh, normally I mean, we pitch one. You guys vote on it next week. We are doing 13 hours. Uh, John, uh, it's Krasinski's in it. Yep. Right? Yeah, he looks like he put on a bunch of muscle for it. Pulling Bradley uh, Cooper. Uh, have you seen have he's, really, he's really trying to. We haven't seen it yet. We're going to watch it this week. Okay. I've heard it's really great, though. It looks pretty cool. I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so 13 hours next week. Michael Bay, that's, that's our bread and butter right there. 
That's the one. So if you guys want these rundowns, these signed rundowns, you have to tweet in, and we will randomly select two of you and send them out, just like the mugs yes. that we said we were going to send and never did. still coming. But we will send them. A lot of talk of that in the channel. They run a real tight ship here. Caught in the Panama Canal. No problem. So, uh, well, guys, thanks so much. Like, oh, this was pleasure, so much man. fun. Yeah, this was everything that a fanboy of this movie could ever yeah. ask for. We got to ask all the questions we wanted. Uh, you guys laughed at our jokes. I hope we kept <laughs> together enough. Yeah. You guys are but, great. Yeah. These guys are also, uh, I'm, I'm a member of their fantasy football league, I should. Yes. I should, and they, I should, I should point out. They both finished ahead of me this last year. So uh, <laughs> next year. Next year, boys. If you guys could see the email transcripts between these two, the shit talking was pretty much the greatest thing I've ever experienced. It was, so, uh, it, was, it, was it was aggressive. Looking forward, it was aggressive. Looking forward to next year. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great. Thank you so much for coming course, by, guys. guys. Thanks and, so much. Uh, we Thanks for having us. See you guys next week for 13 Hours. Take care, guys. Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 